Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and uh, welcome along to Midweek Motorsports just after 8 o'clock on a Wednesday. It's our normal time. It's Series 15, Episode 30, which I think I might have said last week. Well, it was only 29 last week and I rather spooked myself today when I was trying to sort some things out. However, up in London is our executive producer who can count to 30 and that's Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim. You just couldn't cope without me last week, could you? I was a bit flustered, if I'm honest. I was a bit, I was a bit flustered. We had a lot to do, lot to do last week. Uh, on a packed programme tonight, we have what? We've got a lot to do tonight as well. Lots of uh, interviews. Uh, we're going to be joined uh, from our big interview by Pippo Durrani, who uh, we've been trying to get on for a couple of weeks and uh, has finally made it. Uh, because, of course, there Miami. is IMSA action this weekend. There is, and we'll be covering that from Friday evening with FP1 of the WeatherTech Championship. We'll also be looking ahead to the first or the final uh, six rounds of the Formula E Championship. Yes, that confused me uh, a lot. Which are all next week. Uh, Sam Smith from uh, the race, the FE correspondent, Formula E correspondent of the race, Sniffer, will be with us uh, later on this evening. Uh, we'll be talking about some Formula Ford, some Formula One, uh, in that order. Uh, maybe uh, bikes um, touring cars you name it we've got everything tonight uh, oh and some rallying oh excellent excellent you shut up you haven't been introduced yet Damon he's, don't he's worry we couldn't hear the groan good excellent uh, he uh, uh, he's still rather hyped up after all the sugar he's he's had how many profiteroles did he have uh, we, he, and he, if you were to put them in the line how far would it stretch uh, it was only four because we, we rationed him tonight. Uh, so that uh, everybody got a fair first hour. Yep, first got a fair shot, sorry. Uh, and shall I do a bit of housekeeping? Do. At Specutainment, if you'd like to get in touch with us this evening. And many of you have uh, already. Uh, let's see who's listening and who isn't uh, this evening. Uh, hello to... Who are we going to start with to tonight? Uh, why have I gone back so far? Uh, oh! There we go. Well, I seem to have lost all of my Twitter here. Uh, I know that Neil Gardner has gone out for a walk this evening, so he uh, will be listening on the podcast and 
Right, I have no clue why I can't see anything on there. Um, I tell you what, we'll catch oh, you. I can tell you some of these. Oh, can you? Thank yes. you. Thank you for helping uh, me out. So, uh, Daniel Asip, uh, yeah. no apologies for absence, listening live or getting ready for Rims of Road America. Uh, Oliver Giles, midweek entertainment while enjoying homemade steak burger with sweet potato fries and salad. That sounds very healthy. Uh, David Raleigh says, I'm live again, in sh- assuming I don't get banned from entry at the last minute. And listening live from Argentina is Fernando, which is fantastic. Thank you very much. Simon uh, Hoff is all tuned in and ready. Good. Excellent. Uh, I think Monty's listening in this week as well. I'm pretty certain uh, I saw that uh, as well. Uh, the Hun, not sure whether he can listen live, but wanted to ask, endurance racing uh, with cars is pretty popular, but what about bikes? The FIM EWEC is barely any presence, at least in the US. I'd love to see a series like IMSA or ELMS with bikes. Your thoughts? We do get to see a bit of the Endurance World Championship, and I actually quite enjoy it. It is much more, other than the very big races, and by that I mean uh, Fuji, actually. It is much yeah. more a privateer type of thing. There are some big names in it, but mostly uh, it is it is private teams uh, that look after that, or enthusiast teams. Uh, Ian McCarthy's fresh out of hospital, a surgery yesterday. Uh, one upside is being able to tune in live. May have to take some uh, pills midway through, so uh, keep Dragon Racing for the second half. Very good. No airfares from Chris Suku tonight. Just finishing uh, a short race at Le Mans on Gran Turismo Sport. Excellent. Uh, Jack Gabriel has a lovely A21 Group 2 in build uh, at the moment. He'll Actually, he's not listening in now, but he will be at the weekend. I'm envious, Jack. That looks fantastic. Alexander says no AFAs tonight. Just finished a track day. Croft, interested to hear about BTCC news. Tuning in from a grey Monterey and Castroville, says Carol and Kevin Brink. Apologies for absence for Paul Parkin. Parkin, excuse me. Spending time uh, before the second of nine days of Formula One in two weeks. Moni is tuned in today. Serafina uh, proofreading her dad's uh, MBA dissertation. Uh, Stephen taking the rest of the week off for an extended bank holiday weekend in Canada. Stephen Gardner, that is. Got a lot of work to finish. Looking forward to the podcast. Daniel Summersgill podcast uh, as well. Uh, Dave Alcock listening in. Uh, Alexander Orkin, a, a, day, a successful, accomplished, stuffed kind of day. Now eating pestoed fish, drinking a glass of Pinot Grigio and listening to what he says is the best radio show in the world. Thank you very much. You Jonathan. question time. Yes, exactly. Work also AFAs for Jonathan I. Ezo. Wayne uh, listening in tonight. Emburn Fortos, uh, no AFAs. Uh, Kevin Payne. Uh, trying to overturn a poor decision to replace too many roundabouts with four-way traffic lights, which is actually slowing the traffic flow. Ironically, the intent was to cope with increased traffic volume. Sometimes you can't make it up. So he might not be around for the early uh, part of the show uh, as he's uh, got a key online meeting to sort that out. Daryl Bennett wants to know what's happening uh, at Silverstone about General Franz being priced out again and one of the best viewing points in the world taking away. Ooh, we might just be talking about that later on. Uh, do you want to shuffle your, sto- your, your, your papers and have a big story tonight? Or yes, I've got a great big story here. Have you? Yes. A huge, immense, yes. massive story. Yes. Play the jingle. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. I'm very scared about what this might be in what is, in fairness, a relatively slow news week. 
Yes. Uh, and this uh, needs the presence of uh, Nick Damon. Good evening, Nick Damon. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, everybody. Because we're going to be talking about something that's very loosely related to Formula One. Is that a loosely related yeah, hooray? It's a loose related hooray, yes. Okay, okay, that seems reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first Wednesday we, for weeks where we haven't been able to talk about last weekend's Formula One race. And the, the last weekend for another three weeks. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, if Spain goes ahead. Well, Spain might happen. But the Formula One there might not. <laughs> I think Spain is still going to be there. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Carrying on, Tim, what's the top story? What's the loosely related Formula One top story? Do you remember I, I should have. Adrian Sutil. Yes. yes. Oh, I know this one. Soft hand Sutil. Soft hand Sutil, uh, concert pianist. Had, glass a, bit of, had a bit of an accident at the weekend, didn't he, Nick? Did, was, was a broken glass involved? <laughs> there was some broken glass, yes, or it, yes, something he, um, similar to glass. He, he, he rather than um, uh, a nightclub involved, a nightclub incident involving uh, was it Eric Boulier and a uh, and a glass. It was a uh, Monaco Road and a McLaren Senna or a McLaren 720S. The Senna, yes. The Senna, yes. He absolutely smacked it. One, both ends he got, which yes. is impressive. Um, no, no, no re- report on whether it was his fault or somebody else, but he has completely mucked it up. So was the was the gap between um, his expectation and his uh, talent in the McLaren Gulf? Apart. Oh, very good. But we don't know. Certainly, the gap between his uh, front left corner and a lamp post was, was uh, not what it should considerably been, yes. less than uh, it should be. Okay. Mm. Oh dear. Mm. It's interesting though, because Adrian Sutil, of course, kind of retired without trace, didn't he? When he yeah. well, what has he been doing? Nothing. He's actually properly retired, doing nothing. Obviously, apart from obviously, he's still making some Li- cash. Living in Monaco and driving f- his one one of only twenty in the world cars around. Well, well, presuming it was his. Half now. Presuming it was his. Well, he obviously it's made definitely some registered money. to him. Oh, okay. He obviously made some money. So. so he hasn't started making wine or pasta or putting his name to no. to anything else. He isn't. A, he isn't doing concert pianist appearances or or anything. No, he's just being being Adrian. Uh, have you seen the photo? Yes, it's smashed. Do you think is it mullet? Water that's leaking out of the bottom of it. Hopefully, but it's more likely to be these busted sump or something. Oh dear. It's very broken. It's very, very broken. But it's got a carbon fibre tub, so they can rebuild it. It's probably only the bits that hung from it, I would have yes, thought. Yes, I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's many, many, many hundreds of thousands of euros, but it can be rebuilt. Yeah. Apparently the hardest car in the world to write off is the McLaren F1. Did you see that? Well, Ron Atkinson had a, a, had a very good time. Many yes. people have tried to write... Apparently, so far, none have been written off in on the road. I think a couple went in the track. But they are very repairable. Hmm... Yes. Uh, on to more serious Formula One news. Uh, Hooray! Seriously. Who that was a, a serious crunch way. meeting this week ahead of the British Grand Prix? Who had a crunch S- meeting? Ferrari? Cereal, cereal uh, manufacturers. People who make crisps. Was it Ferrari? No. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, there are so home. many. Pardon? Closer to home. Red Your Bull. home. Red, Red Bull. Bull. And? They've, they've changed race engineers. Honda. Honda had a crunch meeting. With Red Bull. With Red Bull. Did they? Yeah. Well, they this. haven't yet. They're going to. Oh, right. Is it about whether we're carrying on in the future? Uh, it's about the performance of this year's car, which uh, the team describes as uh, a significant disappointment. Yes. Uh, 
Christian but, but Horner said it was misbehaving aerodynamically. Yes. Uh, Honda engineers uh, believe that the performance of the engine could also be having an adverse effect. Well, yes, that's that's two of the two of the key parts of a of a car, and we had the third bit, which is the driver. Well, no, I'd say there was four key parts. Go on then. Engine. Yeah. Uh, aero. Yeah. And the tires. Well, the tires same. Tires are the same for everyone. Yeah, but they've got to work with the engine. No, no, the they do. Uh, the three parts the of a car are suspension, aero, and engine. All right. But realistically, you know, let's be honest about this. Um, yeah, but are they actually doing that badly? That's the question. It's a fair point. Because they are comfortably second, and they haven't been comfortably second in the last few years, have they? No, that's true. They've been comfortably third. So is this a case that Red Bull are doing badly, or Mercedes are doing really well? Haven't they just moved the goalpost so far forward again? No. Well, that's a bit, bit, bit. I mean, I, I suppose the, the one thing you can say is that at least the Red Bull do have last year's car to uh, mark themselves against, don't they? Because it's still running around painted pink. Yes. Well, we'll find out, won't we? Well, even 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 you get the protest wins, it's only the, the brake ducts. It's only a minor redesign. But it's already been done, just in case. Now, last week, uh, in my absence, I believe you uh, talked about the announce or the revelation of the uh, biggest secret in the Formula One paddock. No, we didn't. We didn't oh, have we didn't. time. For no, that. we oddly we just we just let that one go because genuinely, um, never having um, uh, sampled the uh, said um, the thing items in question. Yeah. and not giving a tuppence halfpenny about them anyway, um, I was surprised I that was a big they'd story. Be right up your street, to be honest. Well, yeah, but I haven't been in the actual paddock for 15 years or 14 years, so I haven't had a chance to get me my hands on McLaren's brownies. So this is the story that the secret recipe for the McLaren brownies uh, was released, um, and it's quite indulgent. Well, I'm sure it was. Is it, are they still done by um, Ronda Dennis's ex-wife's company? If her Lisa company's Dennis. called Absolute, then yes, yes. It is. yes, it is. Yeah. Yes. So uh, Lisa Dennis, that would be. Yes. So you need uh, 460 grams of dark chocolate, no, 340 let's, grams let's of white chocolate, and no. 220 grams of yogurt. Well, I think yogurt's that indulgent. It's really good for you, isn't it? Mm. Mm. And on top of that, there's 12 eggs, a kilogram of sugar, or nearly a kilogram of sugar. And some yogurt, uh, more and, yogurt, and uh, double yogurt, choc cocoa. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that sounds marvellous. And that, and, so and that, that was last week's uh, secret revelation. What's this week's? Uh, Lewis Hamilton has uh, confirmed what everyone already knew. And I'll let you go next. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're staying well away from that. That he sang on Christine Raguilera's song "Liberation." Did he? Yes. Did they? No. Genuinely, you could hit me over the head with that song, and I wouldn't recognise it. Not, a, not. A, I don't, Christine Aguilera is not on tight rotation. The Damon uh, um, Spotify list, mm. but or you have any young, sort of rotation. You have young children, and I, oh, well, not young children, but well, they're from teenage between teenage and university age. I absolutely children. guarantee that none of the children I have between the age of seventeen are listening to Christine Aguilera either. What about uh, Christina Aguilera featuring XNDA? I don't know. An ex non disclosure agreement. So, yeah. Ex NDA uh, is uh, very much Lewis Hamilton, but we already knew that, frankly. So That's almost. It's, it's, it's like you know, Michael Jackson singing on. Um, that thing about yeah, but somebody who was watching me. What's that? Who's that? Who did that, John? Uh, oh, uh, somebody, you uh, um, Rochford. Somebody, yeah. No, no, not Rochford. Watching me. And, then, and he denied it for years, and obviously it was him. 
It, he was the uh, nephew of Barry Gordy, yeah. the artist. Um, he was all relations, wasn't he? Yeah. Rockford? Yes, yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, the answer's on a Twitter, obviously, to what I'm desperately scraping the back of my head for. Um, not that Michael Jackson has much to do with motorsport, but... Uh, uh, yeah. So, so that. So, what we're basically saying is, our top news are brownies, an well, excellent driver having news. a crashing a car, Rockwell, and Rockwell, Rockwell and somebody <sighs> also um, being a, an unnamed singer on a song. It's weird how quiet weeks can get after such a busyness we had before, isn't I it? Oh yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the best circuit that Herman Tilker ever designed? Turkey. And that's coming back to the Formula One calendar this year. No, it's no, not. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Well, you said that's about no, Mugello, no, no, didn't no, no, you, no, Nick? no, no. But uh, hang on, I'm I'm doing much better on my circuits coming back to it recently. I've got that one. You much, nailed them, Mick. Thank you very much. You nailed it, and I did give you the credit you, for you, that you on did, on all um, kinds of social media. You did media. get Nurburgring right last week. That's. Uh, he got Nurburgring right, he got Portimao, Imola right, Imola, and he got yeah. Portimao right. And yeah. he got well, we, them in the right order. already said Portimao. Yeah, right, but so. no, I, Turkey isn't going back for a couple of reasons. In that the One of the main reasons being, isn't it being used to park cars most of the time? It's a, um, it's a bit like, it's, it's not quite as bad as Rockingham, but it has Well, that, Rockingham's that now a it. D-fleet centre. Yes, and there's a lot of cars. Last time I saw an aerial photograph of the Turkish track in Istanbul, there were at least 600 cars parked on it. I'm sure you could move those in a couple of days. Yes, but I there are places in the UK still, ex um, air force bases that hold thousands of cars, where they, I think, still, if not up until relatively recently, had a 24-hour clearance on them, so they have to be able to clear every single vehicle off it within 24 hours in case the airbase has to go back to being operational. Talking about that, there are, there are also several areas holding cars from the scrappage scheme of 2009. No way. Nope, still there. Can't be touched. I bet there's some, some of the classics. I bet there's some classics in there's there. There's some great stuff. There's pictures of them regularly, but still some... There's some a lot of old British Leyland things that you'd like to get your hands on. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yes, loads of them, actually. There were about <laughs> 10, 10 P6s, and I'm sitting there going... Oh, are you kidding me? No, there's, there's, the paper put through a scrappage claim to get 600 quid or whatever it was. Oh, well, they just they just pulled these things out of garages, you know, which has been sitting there for five years, thinking they weren't nothing. Oh, I've got two grand for it now. Mm. Hello to Jill Saudi Bridge, who is uh, dipping in, working at the moment, but the podcast, ready for the house move. The llama, apparently, has been packed mm. already. That's good news. Uh, and uh, Steve is listening. Stephen, sorry, he's listening in for Hythe in Kent. Dave Alcock says, I'm looking forward to the people Durrani interview, that plug-and-play enhancement to any sports car, like an upgraded <laughs> ECU and a Sierra RS Cosworth. Yeah, but, he's, but, he, but I'm sure he doesn't give a peaky performance. Oh, very good. Uh, JV, John Vincent, listening for the first time live in a while. Looking forward to watching a little full metal racing in person at Pantasod this weekend. Santa Pod, uh, it's a bit of drag racing this weekend. Okay. Uh, uh, and audience, Esther Twitter no estada says no. Eh, not to see an espanol this week. Well, that'll be up to Tim. Yes, that'll be down to you know. The rain line oh, is uh, excited uh, tonight. Thing is though, if we do a, if we do a news in Spanish, are we allowed not? We can't do that one for two day, two weeks, can we? We've got a fourteen day uh, quarantine period after we've done a news in Spanish. Right turn lover says Suzuka, but I'm not sure what the question was. Uh, it's often, it's it was the, the endurance race in Oh, and I said Fuji. said Fuji. I did, yes. I was going yes. to pick you up on it at the time. Thank you, then. RTL. Yes, absolutely. Uh, that was at the start of the show. Oh, uh, yeah. Long time pod last 
podcast listener says Joe Podlast. Long time podcast listener says Joel uh, Whitmore, who says it's only taken me seven <laughs> several months of lockdown to get organised enough to listen to the show live. Hello, Sarah. Uh, listening in and looking forward to the first B. British GT Alton Park race this weekend. Blimey, everything's this week, isn't it? Oh, no, well, it has everything to be. is this week. Yeah. Um, they, really, they really don't they don't phase things well, do they? Dirty Uncle Kevin's been doing a bit of light wrenching on the Mustang, now tuned in. I don't think anything's light on the Mustang, sure. It's all quite big manly amounts of torque you need. I have good news about mini roundabouts and uh, traffic lights, a successful online meeting from Kevin Payne. I did say earlier when he tweeted that, hopefully mini roundabouts and tra- or any kind of roundabouts and traffic lights are being discussed as separate subjects. It's one or the other, it should never be both. That is an affront to the motoring gods. Right. If you've got a roundabout, you don't need traffic lights. If you have a traffic light, you don't need a roundabout. So there's plenty they of roundabouts mutually... with traffic lights on them. And it's wrong. It's just wrong. Right. That's a... uh, aspect your <laughs> uh, Where would you like to go next, Tim? Well, I haven't finished my Istanbul story. Sorry. Not constantly. Not <laughs> 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 we are so predictable. What uh, what we has the circuit said about uh, the rumours? Um, the rumours aren't true. We're no, they said uh, we're current, we currently have a non-disclosure agreement and can't talk about it. Mm. Well, let's be honest, it's a fantastic track. It's not been used for anything apart from some local touring car racing for a number of years. And as I said, the last time I saw it, it's stuffed parks in there. As you say, they could have had the keys for all those things and driven them off, so that's fine. But It also doesn't have a suit for like... Uh, that's all very flexible isn't it what is that actually a I want to say is that a car rental return place or something like that it is something like that I presume there's not a lot of cars being rented in Istanbul at the moment so maybe the requirement requirement for that no I think I think people have been doing a lot of oh what's a grade one circuit let's see if we can pick it up don't forget that if they do get let's say even if Spain goes and we and we get the three races at the end of the season we're expecting Bahrain, Bahrain, um, Abu Dhabi. We are on 15. We get if Spain carries carries ahead, we get 16. They are past their TV requirements. Mm-hmm. So you know it's that's assuming that we go to Bahrain and Abu Dhabi. Why would we not go to Bahrain and Abu Dhabi? Because they, they haven't are, confirmed yet. Yes, but they're not in the they're they're non-COVID, as anything can be non-COVID at the moment. Did you talk last week about the fact that the uh, Brazilians are going to sue Formula One no, for dropping? No, the that all that all that all came in after last yeah. week. We we just said, oh, it's not happening, and they kind of they, they waved a hand at the same time as they said. So the same time as they said the following day, they said they were going to do Nurburgring, uh, Portimao, and uh, Imola. They all said that's it. We're not doing the American swing, so we're not doing um, Texas, uh, Mexico, and Brazil. And the Bra- then about a day like that, Brazil, well, that's just not fair. We are all ready to do it. And I'm sitting thinking, you have just about the worst rates of COVID in the world. Um, there's no way anyone was going there. But I assume it's it's brinksmanship by the people who run the track. Which is odd, really, because, you know, they, they want to sue someone else, given the fact that they um, they normally just renege on their own payments rather than trying to get someone else's payments. So um, I'm sure they'll be very quickly put in their place. But it's kind of macho rubbish from the, from the, from the Brazilians, I think. Uh, what does Eddie Jordan think would destroy Racing Point? Uh, having to design their own car in 2022. Uh, having no. been taken over by someone who pretended to have an energy drink company. Uh, no. Um, uh, uh, I know. I know this. Go on. 
A missile fired from a fighter jet. No, I think that be, would destroy. Will it be point. the fee of having the Spice Girls doing their next car launch in the Royal Albert Hall? Yep. It's not. No. Why uh, The answer is hiring Sebastian Vettel. Okay. okay, what is what is what is the the sage like Eddie Jordan's thinking behind that? You actually go and read what he says. Oh, fine, okay. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. well, there's a kind of a mixed feeling, isn't there, whether it be a good idea or a bad idea? Yeah. There appears to be the people who seem to think it's a bad idea are mostly because they appear to be in the in the um, Chico Perez fan club, and because it is 97% likely he'd be the one to be fired, even though he shouldn't be the one to be fired. Um, they're all now saying, well, you know, they think it's awful that, you know, anyone could, could oust him because he's just so great. Uh, and therefore they're just thinking that, that Fettel going there would be a bad idea. Personally, and, you know, we've been as critical of Sebastian Fettel's form in the last four years as anybody, but he is, you know, he still does put in a number of very good performances. You did kind of feel that he was the person they needed driving the car uh, last week in Hungary when they had a decent car. Mm. Yeah, you had Perez making a pig's ear the whole weekend, apparently because he wasn't very well, and he had Lance Stroll settling for fourth. We kind of thought, well, if we had Vettel in there, he would have got, he would have got, what, better, got a better result out of the machine. That's what you, it, you know, it, you know, and you never know how much this slump, Sebastian slump, being caused by the ridiculous political pressure at uh, Ferrari, and how much has been caused because of a genuine lack of judgment. Obviously, the, the net effect is his his uh, reputation has suffered badly, but. You know, he still has the ability to do it sometimes. I have uh, the Eddie Jordan quote here. Would I employ him? Probably not. There's far, far too many young kids coming through. Can he rekindle a kind of sparkle and a fire and the enthusiasm and the charisma that he used to have? It's going to be difficult at his age. What, 33? Yeah, but that's only part of it, isn't it? You know, if we were talking about what the parts of a car is, what's the parts of a driver? Can you attract shed loads of sponsorship? Possibly. And any team, even a well-funded team, knows that you know you're going to sell more merch. You're going to potentially. If yeah, I agree. With you. If if Sebastian's heart is in it, and if he really wants to do it, and he's got something to prove, then he is obviously a better person to have in the car than either Chico Perez or Lance Stroll. It, no one in their right mind is going to say, even now with Sebastian Vettel 2020 version, is not a better driver than Sergio Perez and Lance Stroll. Jordan went on to say, are you telling me that uh, in a similar car, <laughs> Vettel could fight toe-to-toe with Lewis Hamilton? Psychologically, he can't even do with that Charles Leclerc. He's not, try- he's, not, he's not trying to fight Lewis Hamilton. He's trying to improve... The, the point about this hiring would be to improve a midfield team. Would it improve a midfield team? Yes, it would improve that team. If you said to me, would he be an improvement over McLaren next year with Norris and Ricciardo? I'd probably say probably not. But Perez and Stroll, yeah, there's a number of ways of improving that lineup. Yeah, don't disagree. I think there's, I, I do like Eddie, and he, he's he's normally very very well informed when he's actually informing and he's got facts. When he has his opinions, I'm I'm not so sure. When he's asked a question and he doesn't. Know well, the and, answer. and and the other thing is you don't know exactly what question was asked, and you know what he was, what he was being asked yeah. to comment on and, and that's all also part oh, of it very happy, to, very happy to listen to him he's been there done it. he's got the right to make a comment he's run a team for 13 years long time ago now it's yeah, a diff, very different landscape isn't yeah, it yeah but it's still that's like when all drivers do commentary and haven't been in cars for a long time who and does Helmut that... Marco blame for Mercedes dominance in Formula 1 Mercedes <laughs> the uh, FIA no well close 
Fiza? Is he, is he blaming, the, blaming like 30 years ago? Max Mosley. He is playing 30 years ago. Okay. He's blaming Max Mosley. So Max, who what, was, was ousted nine years ago now? Eight years ago now? Well, yeah, it must be that. So why is it, so? Explain to me how it, this is good. This is good stuff, even from Helmut. Go on, explain to me how it's, it's Max's fault. Uh, oh, I know. No, I know. It's because they're giving Red Bull a damn good spanking. <laughs> because he he took his eye off the ball <laughs> when he financed everybody to sue uh, Rupert Murdoch and bankrolled everybody when nobody else would do it, which is possibly the best thing he's ever done. Let's be honest. Go on, Tim. Tell, tell, tell me what tell me what it is. Uh. Gather yourself, Greer. Yes. Gather yourself. Mercedes would have been reined in if M- Max Mosley was still in charge. Oh, no, so it's not bl- Max's fault. It's, it's Jon Tot's fault then. Well, he's blaming Max true. for not being he, there. He's blaming uh, ex-Ferrari man for ah. not favouring Ferrari. I think he did favour Ferrari. That's why they got away with a with a behind closed doors rap on the knuckles and not a hundred million pound fine, like a hundred million dollar fine, which um, which uh, McLaren got. Several Let's years not ago. go down that route again. Eighty-five horsepower, apparently that was worth. Really? Uh, somebody's it's a bit cheap. Uh, Damien Faulkner was tweeting something about how much more horsepower do you think uh, Mercedes have got this year? 60 horsepower. And and I did say, mm, I'm not sure they've got that much more, but I bet that's at least what Ferrari lost after um, their fuel floor antics. I mean, I think, you know... 85? Yeah, I think it's quite a lot because it's... It's it's more than 10%. Then. What, what are F1 engines put out? 500? 1,000. 1,000? In, in qualifying trim. That's with full hybrid. But what does the ICE put out? Uh, 160 kilowatts less than that, which is 220 horsepower left, so 780. Right. So seven, so, so it's, it's still 10%. more than 10%. Wow. Um, wow. No, I mean, I think, you know, the, the interesting thing about Ferrari, who obviously had an, a, a statement this week that they are, they're they're dead in the water for this year and next year now, and they came back in 2022, you know, but we all we all kind of thought it was a bit, that it was a bit unfair that they managed to get away with a behind-closed-doors um, mayor Kalper. Um well, what's quite amusing is they're actually suffering every single race, and, with, and everyone's going around every race is proving they were cheating, and they, and they and they have to stick to their ridiculous story. No, it's the, our aero balance is wrong. We're going mm, not so sure. Think you might have been cheating. Um, it would have been easier for them to actually have gone. Yeah, we did that. Sorry about it. And uh, then people let them off. But now it's just every single race. It's it's more and more ridiculous as they get more and more left behind. Uh, and yeah. I think yeah, obviously Mercedes picked up some power, but yeah, they probably got, I think they got fifty or sixty horsepower more. <laughs> that's a lot. That's a that's a lot. Uh, and obviously they haven't got fifty, sixty horsepower more than Honda, who are better. But they, Honda thought they were going to be on par this year, and they're not because they're Mercedes not. Um, worried so much about Ferrari's performance before they knew it was completely not actually real. Now enough of Formula One because uh, boo. We've done every yeah, non-story twice. that there is <laughs> yeah. to death uh, in the paddock. Um, <laughs> can't argue that. We'll do some more of that <laughs> next week uh, once it's actually been a race we can talk about. Uh, we'll move on to a series that's holding six races next week. Yes, uh, and first of all, we should say sad news coming from Berlin Tempelhof Airport this morning, which is the venue for Formula E's uh, six-race extravaganza over the uh, next or over the nine days from next week uh, actually next Wednesday uh, isn't it that one of the workers who was setting up has uh, unfortunately lost their lives and we obviously pass on condolences uh, to the family earlier on this morning and before that happened I spoke with the race F 
E, Formula E correspondent Sam Smith Sniffer to his friends uh, about what was happening at the circuit and what we would say for the nine race spread over, or the uh, six race spread over the uh, nine days from next Wednesday. And first of all, just asked him to remind me, when did this season start? It seems like an age ago that this season started. Formula E is pretty unique in that it straddles two years. So we've got a 2019-2020 championship that began in Diria, in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, last November, which is now what? Oh, blimey, that's nine months ago. So, um, yeah, it's going to be in two parts. The last race was at the end of February in Marrakesh, and then obviously the, the pandemic hit everybody and everything and Formula E um, ceased the, the season, and then we're going to pick it up again at Tempelhof Airfield. It's an interesting facility, and actually it's given over to what Formula E are trying to achieve, or are going to achieve, which is having three double headers, so six races, over nine days. And that is going to take place on a variety of tracks, three distinct tracks. Interestingly, the first track, which is going to be used next Wednesday and Thursday, is going to be a reverse configuration of the track which is normally used at Templehof. So really interesting. I reckon that's the only time that an FIA championship event has run in a complete reverse. In some ways, Sam, it's almost like having the world's biggest scale extric set, isn't it? And it's a perfect opportunity because basically you've got enough room without constrictions to lay down whatever circuit you want. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, they've chosen the right facility. They were talking to Portimao about doing something. But of course, although it does have different configurations, it's it's less given to, you know, purely making a track as as Formula E does on this huge expanse of, of tarmac or concrete in, in Tempelhof. So it, it's a good venue. And, and the other thing is, of course, is politically or whatever you want to call it, or just a neat way of doing it. We've got four major manufacturers from, you know, from those parts. We've got Porsche, Audi, BMW and Mercedes, of course. So it's quite a nice little, um, a cute little way to fit in their home races too. And, it, you know, it's going to finish the season. It's an intense period over nine days. And, you know, the teams are going to have to be ultra ultra prepared operationally and technically to get the best out of it and there's you know there's a championship up for grabs there's 180 points available which is remarkable we got a number of new drivers who are coming into the championship because we've had this strange situation of you know the extension to this season and contracts being um being sort of out of kilter a little bit and, and some who've lost their seats for other bizarre reasons uh, you know stand up daniel outs um so what it means is that there are new drivers coming in and even they have a chance of taking the title, which is, you know, insane. Where, you know, half a season of racing to go and everything's still up for grabs. Well, and it is Antonio Felix de Costa for DS Tachita who leads on 67 points um, ahead of Mitch Evans for Panasonic Jaguar Racing on 56. And Alexander Sims makes up the top three for BMW Andretti Motorsport on 46. I, I want to pick up about Mitch Evans because he's got a he's got a new teammate. Sam Bird has jumped across from Envision. Yeah, big news. Nobody saw it coming at this time. Sam had been, not open, but it was a well-known sort of paddock rumour that Sam had been courted by Jaguar and he'd held talks before. Sam's the only driver to have won a race in each of Formula E six seasons, remember. So he is, we know he's a top talent. We've seen him racing in, in lots of different disciplines, not least sports cars over the years. We know how good he is. 
But in Formula E terms, he gets it. And of course, when you have major manufacturers of which Envision Virgin isn't, it's a private team who use who use Audi powertrains as a customer. Then you know he's going to be courted by manufacturers, and and Jaguar fitted. Now he's going to partner Mitch Evans, who I would say is one of the one of the top performers in Formula E of the last last season, season and a half, and that is one mighty proposition for next season. Sam is one of the best and one of the cleverest drivers in Formula E. He understands the technology. He works the technology very well. His energy management is outstanding. He's looking at Mitch Evans second in the championship and he's sitting down in 10th. I mean, is that the sort of decision-making process that you think's gone on here? I think in con- with context, there's a variety of things for Sam. You've got to obviously put in, in place his age and his standing where he is in his career and it's 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 fairly nuanced for Sam in particular because I think it's fair to say, and he would acknowledge that he's you know since he left single seaters or actually just before that in his last few years of single seaters, he entered into a, a management partnership which which wasn't particularly um, efficient for him, not particularly positive for him. He was held to it for some time, and then uh, after that ended, uh, you know I think thankfully for him, then he. He hooked up with Julian Jacobi. Now, if anyone knows anything about Julian Jacobi, they'll they'll know that he's the the kind of the the, the kingmaker in terms of yeah. driver management. Extremely successful career in in lots of sports, but notably in motorsport with Ayrton Senna and, and personal manager of Alain Prost. At the same time, I mean, you don't get a more um, you know you've got to be pretty pretty sharp to do that, haven't you? Now, that was one key change for Sam, but but also the fact he's been so close to winning and challenging for Formula E titles with. The, his present team with Envision Virgin and its different guises, and but not quite got there at the end. Perhaps in his thinking that going to a major manufacturer, one on the up, like Jaguar, don't forget, they have won two races in the last uh, season and a half, which doesn't sound like a massive return, but actually in Formula E terms, it's, it's pretty good because everything's shaken up with, with the qualifying format and various mm-hmm. other, other things in Formula E. But... Yeah, I, I think it's the right move for Sam at this time. He's coming into that time in his career where he has to really, you know, for the next two or three seasons, he has to get a good deal for him. Good news for the championship as well. Not 18 months ago, there was some thought that Jaguar might not continue. And then they've had a bit of success. Uh, and there's been a change of attitude towards the programme from Jaguar itself. And in Formula E terms, I think that's as significant as Alonso going back to, to, to Renault in, in terms of signifying the intent for the future. Yeah, in the you know in the realm of Formula E, obviously very different to Formula One, but yeah, it's a huge move, and and I, I'd describe Sam as a sort of uh, a grandee driver, you know, someone like Degrassi, exactly. Buemi, Jean Eric Verne, you know, they're, they're proven quantities, they've got experience, they know all the tricks, extremely canny, um, racecraft, terrific, you know, Sam's one of the best overtakers in Formula E. You were talking about sinuous street tracks here you know that it's often was only one line because the track breaks up or there's there's always something at formula e to to put a driver off his stride but sam you know consistently has pulled off extraordinary moves and that is one of the key things that that teams are teams are looking at and jaguar i think need that because mitch they've created mitch as a star now i'm not saying you know mitch was no good before he came into formula because we know he was he won in gp2 you know i know john you were there when he turned up uh, with jota at spa in i think 15 and and was was outstanding in his first lmp2 drive and he tested for porsche with a 919 uh hybrid too 
he is an extremely good racing driver, but but with Jaguar, he grew into a pretty formidable uh, package with them. Now Sam will have a long term deal, and it'll be fascinating to see how you know how he how he gets on with with Mitch's first and pace. Quick word about Brendan Hartley. Dragon, the, the Dragon are, um, are a team, a volatile team, that's for sure. Uh, and Brendan, whenever I saw Brendan in the paddock, it wasn't the same Brendan that that we know and enjoy to speak to really? um, in, in the WEC and various other other things that he's done. Um, I think it really got to him for lots of reasons. I know, you know, it's Santiago, the second race of the year. In January, his engineer was... Uh, was dismissed immediately after the race and you know i don't think he was really given a suitable explanation for that um there was always this this clash thing hanging over where he was contractually obliged to drive for toyota but it didn't seem to be a problem when he spoke to the team but then it was given as in in my opinion given as an excuse for for uh for the split you know someone of brendan hartley's class and reputation and you know what he's achieved in his career if you can't make it work with Brendan Hartley or the drivers of Brendan Hartley's ilk, then you're running out of excuses, really, aren't you? Yeah, exactly so. What's happening with Pascal Verlein? Yeah, well, this this was the real shock, really. I mean, Verlein, we we believe that Verlein had an extra year on his contract with Mahindra. Um, he was approached by Porsche, as or, or he approached Porsche. We're not quite sure which one. A deal was done. Um, he then went, went back to um, went back to Mahindra. To, to inform to inform the management of this, um, who who I'm pretty sure, although they've not spoken to me because they won't, but we were hazarding a guess here. Took the news um, not particularly well, um, and Pascal was uh, yeah. All of a sudden, he wasn't a Mahindra driver, and he's been replaced by Alex Lynn. Mm. Um, yeah, curious one really. It's, it, it may be one of these ones where the overlap of the um, of the deals and the contracts has something to do with it. But my feeling is that it was more of a, a, a business thing where it could have been done a bit better, let's put it that way, yep. on the side of the on the side of the driver and his uh, representatives. But it gives Alex Lynn a chance. I, you know, big fan of Alex Lynn. I think he, he's, a, he's, a great, uh, he's a great talent and it'd be interesting to see how he, how he matches up against Jerome D'Ambrosio in Berlin. Let's talk about a bit of cost-cutting that's been brought in. Yeah, I mean, to give full credit to the FIA and Formula E, um, holdings who who promote and organise the championship. There's a kind of a menu of uh, objectives and principles whereby they want to control the costs more going forward. Now, to give you an idea, Formula E in terms of budgets, you know, it's nowhere near F1 sort of levels, but it has crept up significantly since its first season. I would think, uh, you know, an average an average budget would be somewhere between about twenty five and, and thirty five uh, million euros a, a season. That is the kind of money we're talking about. But of course, as we know, John, as we've seen in uh, whatever it is, Group C, ITC, of course, Formula One in the late nineties, GT One. You talk yeah. about as, as soon as you, I mean, we talk like as I said before. As soon as you talk about the manufacturers get involved, as soon as you open up the rules a little bit, um, mm. and as much as people don't like spec racing, but you start an arms race, and and if you don't keep a hold of that, and we've seen we've seen that in every form of the sport, and we've also seen more more recently every form of the sport right up to world championship level trying to get a grip on that and this is presumably it's just FA trying to do the same thing 
Well, that's quite right, and it's always been a um, it's always been a key driver from the the FIA because of these case studies before. The menu that we're looking at for the cost control ranges through lots of different things. A lot of them sound really small, but actually, you know, when they're added up season to season, um, they can be significant. There's a, there's a limit now on the number of operational staff. We're talking just 17 at each racetrack. Wow. Now, you know, that's for two cars. That's pretty, pretty low, I would say. There's going to be a remote garage, uh, a cool of the – not a cool, but a capping or a limitation, the kind of um, – mission control places back at the bases, back at the factories. You know, they're talking about six people being allowed to do that in conjunction with the, the teams at the venue of the races. There'll be a tyre quotes allocation. Uh, eventually, there'll be a software limitation, which is a, a key one, but that won't come through until the next World Motorsport Council meeting in October. Uh, there'll be pass limitations, uh, some centre limitations, uh, some production parts uh, as well. There'll be some limitations on the number of manufactured parts too. Um, uh, Brakes will be limited as well. So, you know, there's some material stuff, there's some um, HR stuff in there, but it all, you know, it's all a step in the right direction. Have the organisers as the series said, right, we want to keep it down below a figure, or is this just a general thing to say, we're going to make it more difficult? Any any team, particularly manufacturer-funded team, they'll spend whatever money they've got and then probably try and find a little bit bit more. It's going to be interesting how it all works out. There isn't a, a formal one in formerly yet. There could be. Okay. But I think they wanted to get these measures in, in place to see to see how it goes in the future. The key to this, I think, is that the next rule set comes in in twenty at the end of twenty twenty two, and some of those suppliers have already been known. So Hancock are taking the tire deal from Michelin. Really, uh, Spark, yeah, Spark are going to keep doing the chassis. Uh, Williams have regained the battery contract, uh, and ABB are going to do the infrastructure for what's been known as fast charging. So there'll be an element of fast charging pit stops in the near future for uh, Formula E. But the key, I think, is is that manufacturers who are in the championship at the moment have to commit to Generation 3. It was initially December this year, but there's been an extension, I understand, until right. around about March, April next year. Now, if you're going to a board member, if 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 our friend Alan McNish is going to the board of Audi and saying, look, we need, you know, we can do, you know, we can do it for this amount of money, uh, but with these, we, you know, with these cost control measures, we can do it for this. That's significant, and it might be the difference between a manufacturer saying yes or no. Just want to finish off with one thing, and you mentioned it actually about cars getting faster, because already they're talking about using the full Monaco Grand Prix circuit, which they couldn't previously do. Are we going to see Formula E, e change its whole character as we go forward into Gen 3? I hope not. No, I hope not. They, uh, with all these things, it needs a balance. Uh, the cars will get quicker, uh, which is part and parcel of the progress of, and the technology. It needs to keep. It obviously, needs to keep some um, road relevance as well, because all the well, pretty much all the manufacturers are uh, road car or automotive manufacturers too. Uh, the circuits is the interesting thing, but of course, at the minute, with what we're seeing with the the pandemic, it's you know I can't imagine. Uh, 25,000 fans turning up to Paris or Rome no. next year, right in the city centres. No. Now, there, there are a few misnomers in Formula E. A lot, the one is that it's all city centre racetracks. It's not true. Um, there's only a few that are actually in the city centre. And even some of those, such as Accel Arena, 
as you and I know, even as Northerners, John, it's not in this right in the centre of London, right? It's it's out in the East End. Um, you know, New York is in a sort of a, an industrial part of uh, near Brooklyn. It's not right in the city centre. Uh, Mexico City is a you know is a permanent racetrack. Marrakesh is a semi-permanent racetrack. So actually, the truth is, it's it's kind of a mixture. Now, but the key will be if they can race in these in Paris, in Rome, uh, and and Seoul as well next year. If they can have fans there, that's that's one aspect. The other one with Monaco again a misnomer in that you know they can't get up the hill. You know that's that's just not true. That was I think that was um, that was wheeled out by some of the the early doubters of Formula E. There's no reason why the cars can't race on the Monaco uh, full track. In fact, the one. The one sort of blockage in it was um, President Todd, who didn't want Formula E and Formula One to be compared on, on the same track. Sam, en- enjoy the rest of the season. You're not going to have much rest over the next few days. Sam Smith, thanks for joining us on Midweek Motorsport. Thanks, John. All the best. Cheers. Well, tomorrow night on uh, RS1 at 8 o'clock, it's the latest of the Tora radio show. And this week, another triple-headed uh, presentation lineup with Matt, Ben and Jordan... Uh, they're going to be talking about a couple of updates for uh, a set of Corsa with the Ferrari Hublot uh, eSports series running on that and KTM being their GT4 uh, crossbow as well. Mm. Uh, Formula 1 2020 uh, has updated the Mercedes to be black and iRacing has announced a raft of new circuits including Long Beach. Mm-hmm. Hockenheim, yep. and Nashville Fairgrounds. It, well, uh, it, yeah, Long Beach was... Um, Long Beach has been in design for a long time, and actually they were waiting for computers to catch up because there is so much um, structure around the track... Ah, for the backgrounds. For the backgrounds, that they actually... You can, you can run Long Beach now as a wireframe model for the surroundings, but the track's all there, but they were waiting to actually have the, the, the processing power to catch up to run Long Beach. The big thing coming in iRacing soon is the new LMP2s. I know. I think they uh, talked about those last week on the show. Be, yeah, that'll be, yeah. yeah, I'd like to point out that having, uh, I'm running the, uh, the HPD round the Nürburgring at the moment, so effectively I'm just glad I'm not paying for the repairs. Uh, <laughs> the... It, it must be awful, actually, in all seriousness. Tune in tomorrow night for that at 8 o'clock, by the way. The guy's doing a great job and are staying with the weekly format uh, for the foreseeable future uh, as well, which was started basically at the start of COVID. So that is something else that positive that's come out uh, of this, one of the few things. It must be a nightmare, Nick, to be a games designer at the moment. If you think of the official Formula One game, um, <laughs> then there's a whole host of tracks yeah. that have been taken out and a whole host that have been put in that, that aren't modelled. Yeah, I mean, the, the, for the official game, which is... Um, Codemasters? Codemasters. And, on, on the, on, and, and don't forget, it's much... The rules for programming onto consoles is significantly more stringent than the rules for PC. Um, yeah, they've they've put down uh, they've modelled a game with 21 races at the 21 tracks which were announced back in last November. Um, many of which uh, aren't taking place. Many of which have been replaced by completely new circuits. And there's absolutely no chance whatsoever those will be modelled onto the onto the consoles. Um, so yeah, and they have different colours cars, and yeah, that, that that they can do. They can, they can do liveries. That's fine. That's that's a little update on the uh, the download, but they aren't going to be able to do new tracks or anything like that. So the the well the 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 
they won't be following and 20, if F1 2020 will not be the 2020 it would be, be, be the fantasy 2020 the one that was supposed to happen prior to the, <laughs> the pandemic and, it's got uh, all the right cars and now it's got all the right coloured all the right cars my so. guess is that their model of the Ferrari is significantly better than it actually is is, is, is their game a bit like Les Dawson playing the piano all the right cars and circuits but just not necessarily in the right order <laughs> exactly yeah. it's the Eric Morecambe of uh, F1 games <laughs> the other thing they're going to be talking about tomorrow night on the tour of the radio show at 8pm on RS1 uh, is uh, today's big news that a British touring car game is to be released in 2022. It's been a long time since we've had one, isn't it? That yes. was it. There was a Codemasters. Uh, that was 2004. Token 2. Token 1, Token 2. Was it 3, was there? Okay, well, I mean, yeah, but had on it. Oh, right. I mean, I, I remember playing on the PS1 Toker, so that must have been, what, late 90s? And yeah, then there was something like touring cars. I think Toka three. No, yeah. it was Toka Toka two and Toka race driver. So the one I Toka played, race driver. The one I that's played the one. had the yellow Renault. Oh, that the, was the original, original Toka. Yeah. yeah, that was the bl- the blue and yellow yeah, works cars yeah. before the Blend thirty seven cars. Yeah. 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 I think I've still got a copy of Toker Race Driver. Uh, Talk, th- there was one of the Tokers, which I think must have been the last one, that had places like Bathurst and, and that on it. was an international, oh, okay, cool. as well as just being the UK. You could also do Formula Ford on it. Yes, that's right. You could. Was it Formula Ford or was it... Yes, Formula, Formula Ford. Ford. You and Rockingham was de- around uh, Alton Park. Uh, Rockingham was definitely on one of them as well. I remember that. Uh, and that brings us neatly on to the real-life uh, British Touring Car Championship, which starts this weekend at Donington Park, behind closed doors. Now, yeah. this is very interesting, because I, I, I know it doesn't sound like it, but Tim and I were actually chatting um, earlier on today. It sounds like we never <laughs> speak to each other week to week, but we do. Ironically, we weren't actually talking about the show. We were talking about other things. And we had a long convers- longish conversation today about how MSV had been very clever, Tim, by effectively asking for their some of their race meetings to be categorised as not sporting events. They're tourist attractions, they're not sporting events. There you go. The Department of Culture, Media and Sport has said uh, you're not getting away with that for British Touring Cars. The British <laughs> Touring Car uh, Championship is an elite sporting event. Uh, you are not letting spectators into that one. Right. It was this along the same lines as horse racing in France wasn't a sport. It was it was what was it? Agriculture. Agriculture? Yes. yes, that's right. That, that might that might explain why they're getting the historics are getting away with it because the historics are like a, just a movie museum. They're not a sporting <laughs> event. Absolutely. Well, uh, quite a lot of the drivers in British Touring Car Championship qualify as that, don't they? Well, no, because Plato's not running this year. Oh yes, it? that's right. <laughs> You got Matt Neal there bringing up the uh, people who are only slightly young, older than me, or younger than me. I think Matt's about a year younger than me, isn't he? Yeah. Not much though. No, I know. Not much at all. So what does that mean then? Because uh, originally there were a, a restricted number of tickets. Yes, they, di- they didn't say how many, or haven't said publicly how many tickets they were putting on sale. But uh, uh, earlier today, I'm told that they were nearly sold out. Right. However many that was. However many that was. Both of them. If um, <laughs> if you were one of the people who'd bought those tickets, uh, MSV have asked you not to contact them. They will contact you to process the refund. Okay. And uh, they'll pop round your house tomorrow. Yes. Uh, with, I'm with sure. Both of you will get your £35 back. Uh, d- d- serious question. Uh, listen, uh, uh, there's nothing better than going to a racetrack and the sight sounds and smells of racing, Nick. But we were talking about this over a fantastic dinner tonight. 
we've seen now Formula One, we've seen MotoGP, and we'll talk about MotoGP in detail, and we'll get Dex on the line uh, from the US in the second part of tonight's programme. Does even the biggest motorsport events need a crowd? Not for, not if they've got full television coverage, no. I, I, I genuinely, and this may... may make me out as a pariah I haven't missed the crowd at all in, in Formula 1 but you have in other sports oh football's unwatchable baseball you're a big baseball fan baseball I do quite like what they've done They've been. it works a bit better because with baseball you do have large periods of just you know background hubbub whereas football the rise and the fall and the swell and the, the, yeah, that's the but whole game but in baseball game. they've still had a live organ player and yeah. a PA guy and they've, and, and they've also and they've also been trialling out virtual crowds of various different resolutions that depends on which network, which network you watch on yeah. 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 no baseball's nothing like as bad and in fact I, I know cricket cricket wasn't as bad either but football it's absolutely soccer you're talking about yeah. soccer it's absolutely destroyed by like a crowd I mean obviously I, I, yeah, both you and I a little bit are used to being in the crowd as part of our, our growing up yeah well you following Gillingham you're used to being the crowd <laughs> <laughs> and if you if you take if you take you know if we go on a if we go on a staff night out me you and Johnny Palmer we are the away support that's right it's us but, but there you go if you if you are if but I are, think if we took boots the last time we went to Northampton Town we'd have got a game if there are just half a coach laid off you have to make more noise don't you I've always liked going to a away twenty seven people oh well the whole we've all come this week then I, I was watching a, a seminar last Thursday um, about how American sports are. Uh, coming back and there was a guy from the MLB on there who was very excited about because last Thursday was when it all came back wasn't yes, it yes I watched it I watched the first game and then it rained yeah they got some of the game off uh, I think they got seven inning uh, done between the Washington Nationals oh, right. and the I, yeah, I saw, White Sox I saw, was it? no I, I watched the I must watch the second game then because I watched the, the, the San Francisco LA game uh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that was the second game. The first I mean, one was the Nationals. No, of, it was the Nationals. Lots um, of games in different time zones that overlap by quite a lot, which they wouldn't normally do, but they need to do that to squeeze them into the time now, don't they? No, but uh, you know what? It's like this. They, you know, the way they finished off the football leagues, the soccer leagues. Um, I, I think it's kind of worked. Uh, in terms of getting the season over, I'd far rather play games than have. No, I, I, I couldn't agree anymore. I think getting the season away, I was sceptical at the time, but I think it was the right decision to finish the Premier League, and 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 they should, and they should have finished all the leagues. I think now. Uh, Dave Alcock tells me, Talk a Race Driver is the first Talk a game that I can find that includes Bathurst, released on PS2 in 2002. Okay. Is it as early as that? Yes. I, th- I thought it was. Later, I thought it was 03 or maybe 04. But there wasn't anything on anything past PS2. There wasn't a PS3 or no equivalent. No, there it wasn't. Was 360 had stopped by then, didn't it? Andrew Martha, going back to our Formula E, and thank you very much to Sam Smith, the Formula E correspondent for I the race. I didn't ask him about frogs, by the way. No. You have no idea what else we talked about earlier on today. In fact, football came up as well because he's a York City fan. Um, who've probably played their last game at Bootham Crescent. Oh, their last game would be disastrous. Yeah, they, they didn't turn up. Uh, Andrew Mather says, not only am I liking what Sam Smith said about Sam Bird and the move for Sam Bird going to Jaguar, but I think that's good for the Jaguar team, knowing that they're two guys now who can both deliver results each round in a very nuanced series in regards to driver skill. It gives the fight a chance, the chance to fight in the constructors uh, with the other big manufacturers. I think that's a fair point, and I, I think that was 
what Sam was saying there. Sam, his usual, very considered and uh, brilliantly uh, insightful and informative self. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Alan Prosser says, I've not missed the crowd at sport, not even football. I've noticed that in footy, there's a lot less, argu- less lot, far fewer arguments on the pitch, pitch uh, fewer flare-ups, uh, and they all seem to listen to the rest, get on and get 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 up and get on with it and there's less play acting one thing I did notice about baseball they flew through baseball in terms of time not playing to the crowd not playing yeah I, I, I don't know but it was very interesting um, Carol Brink says who is our uh, MLB uh, correspondent on Twitter hello Carol uh, he says uh, since MLB is really a regional sport now, <laughs> time zones don't matter. It's, it's, a, point. it's a fair point. It's <laughs> that is bi- true. It's basically like the old third division north, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, they're all playing each other in their area, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's I mean, only an issue for out of area spectators, I suppose. But yeah. no, the problem is every single game is blackout, isn't it, locally? Well, no, I think they've, they've been talking. Yeah, blackouts have gone, I think. Yeah. Uh, well, in some places, not all of them, but that they've had to have a more pragmatic uh, thought about what's going on uh, you're listening to midweek motorsport keep the tweets coming in at spectatainment we've got plenty more I'd like to hear your views on anything we've talked about so far and think about what's coming up next in the second hour midweek motorsport and don't you dare switch off now because the next hour is going to be even better uh, it certainly is we'll have declan brennan and nick Damon discussing the return of moto gp uh, at the weekend it was the headline as far as motorsport was concerned and i think it didn't it's disappoint let's have your thoughts uh, on that we'll be checking in with a couple of youngsters who are spending slightly more time than they expected to in the uk but making the most of it by competing in uk national formula ford and uh, hopefully we'll have them on the line in the second hour as well uh, more of your tweets of course at Spectatainment and possibly a little bit more Formula 1 news and general other news as well all still to come oh yes and we've got people to Ronnie on the line from Miami Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com just after nine o'clock then and it is time for that big interview that we've been telling you about and I'm delighted to say that joining us uh, is people Durrani hello people how are you doing hi John I'm doing great how about you ah you know what I'm not going to complain I am really not going to complain right now we've got racing going again and that's part of the reason we've got you back on because uh, last race out of course Sebring uh, I don't know what it is about you and Sebring, but you seem to get on really well with that place. Yeah, I've been saying in the past, I don't know, I think Sebring likes me because um, I like it too. I, I mean, it's a fantastic track. I love to drive around there, but for some reason, even myself, I'm surprised with uh, so many successes in the last five years. It's been it's been a pleasure, to be honest. How, how let, let's, let's talk about, you know, the difficulties for you, particularly as a driver, for the most time based outside of the USA, you and Felipe Nasser jumped on a plane uh, to get into the US to make sure you could race. Uh, what, I mean, where's your mind at before, you know, we, we've raced, we've done the Rolex 24, and then we've got that, as Eve calls it, the big pause. Where was your mind at at that point? What were you, you know, what, was, what were you thinking? 
Yeah, you know, John, I've been spending a lot of time here in the U.S. Um, so I have a place in the U.S. where I spend most of my time during the race season. But as soon as um, we started realizing that um, the things were going to still get worse, we decided to go to Brazil and spend time with family. So um, when we had that big pause right after the 24, um, I flew back to Brazil and I was there with family and and. Uh, just trying to stay at home and enjoying a little bit what was like a holiday, but uh, in, a, in a different way. We were at the beach, so kind of away from everyone, away from big cities and, and things like that. Um, which, to be very honest with you, was a, was a great time for reflection and putting my mind back into place. You know, we, uh, we started the year with not a very good result, uh, unfortunately, at Daytona. So it was kind of a, a reset time for uh, for, for myself. But, um, yeah, I was actually planning to come back to the U.S. Uh, as soon as possible, but not that soon. Uh, but when they they said there, there was a chance to close the border, uh, immediately we spoke with the team and we, we thought it was the best thing to do to buy the, the next flight out from Brazil and back into America uh, to, and get back into America as soon as possible. Mm. And luckily, we we took the decision uh, within half a day. I bought the flight, and and uh, I think if I'm not wrong, the day that I flew, the day that I arrived in the U.S. on that day at night, the border closed. Correct. So it was it was exactly on the on the borderline. Uh, we were expecting it to be to actually close the day after on Wednesday. I remember, but they anticipated. So, yeah, we came a month earlier uh, to make sure we, we beat the travel ban uh, and we made it. I mean, for me, it's it's like being home also in the U.S. Like I said, I have a place here, so I haven't suffered much uh, from being away from home or, or things like that because um, I, I have, you know, a place here. So I'm feeling good. I'm feeling comfortable. And I think that was essential for me to get back in the car at Daytona with mm. You know, with everything running smoothly and and making sure I uh, I got the job done. Uh, the problem is for motor racing drivers, uh, it, there isn't really for, okay. You could do some sim racing. You can practice. You can do sim. You can keep fit. You can ride a bike. You can go for a run. But it's not like you're a soccer player where you could go out and kick a ball around, where you could bounce the ball off the wall. Uh, if you're a baseball player, you. Could, play catch with somebody if you're a motor racing driver the the real way to get sharp is to be in a car and you couldn't do that that must have been quite difficult yeah i agree john but you know what is surprising for me um is that over the years when you're young of course you stay maybe a month away from racing (laughs) and you uh and you already feel really it's really weird when you're jumping the car for the first time after holidays but I feel like uh, year after year, with more experience and 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 more time uh, being as a professional, really, you know, you feel it feels like every time you go back into a car is more or less like riding a bicycle. Everything comes back to you so quickly mm-hmm. that uh, you would be surprised. And and that was the case with me when I jumped in the car back at Daytona. I really thought I was gonna feel a massive. Uh, a massive difficulty for from being outside of the car for so long but the fact is that i knew that i was coming back to a race where it, it wasn't going to be easy because of the heat so physically i prepared myself a lot 
especially my neck. Um, I had a go-kart test maybe 10 days before jumping into the car to get my reflexes back. Mm -hmm. But you would be surprised of how quickly after maybe two or three laps, I was already back in pace. So that was something that even surprised myself. But I feel like I think it's possibly something that comes with experience. You know, you can't expect to have that from a, from a young guy who's just starting in single seater. But the more the years goes by, the more the easier it comes for a break like that. Uh, I love the way you say that. The way you ask, I still think of you as a young as a young lad. Uh, you, you mentioned karting there. Now we've we've got used to you, and our listeners have got used to you being at the very top of world sports cars, uh, both in WEC at Le Mans and, of course, in the IMSA WeatherTech uh, Championship as it is now. But you had a you had a pretty uh, traditional um, run up the ladder as far as your motor racing career. Both your dad and I think your older brother both raced. And you were you were karting, uh, what, nine, ten years old back in, back in Brazil? Correct, yeah. I started real competition racing in go-karting when I turned, when I turned 10. But I had been testing uh, since seven or eight years old. Uh, and yeah, I did, I did have a career where uh, initially the aim was to, to reach Formula One. Um, as many young kids that comes from Brazil, especially with such a big heritage mm-hmm. from Ayrton and um, and other great uh, Formula One drivers that we had, but um, unfortunately, it's not that easy. You know, people think it's it's a straightforward uh, path from karting to Formula One, and in fact, it, it is not. There's so many things that goes uh, alongside alongside um, the results um, and the talent that uh, you can't forecast. Uh, you know, you just make mistakes. And it wasn't uh, different with myself. I started um, in single-seater when I was 14 to 15, if I'm not wrong. Uh, but I made, we made, as a family, uh, a couple of wrong decisions where um, we kind of lost two years. Um, and I think those two years were essential in helping myself to reach or to get closer to Formula One. Eventually... Um, we made some good decisions then, maybe a little bit too late for Formula One, but uh, for sure, all the difficulties that I've had, uh, they've helped me become a much stronger driver, uh, which helped me to to get stronger in a point where once I moved to sports car, uh, I made an impact straight away. And that was key for my success, That uh, for all the success I've had today. You made the decision, and and this was probably one of the good decisions. You made the decision decision to come across to Europe, and uh, am I right? Did you do Formula Renault, the the Northern European Cup? Because you were with Motorpark for a while, and in was it German Formula Three? Were you teammates with Kevin Magnussen in oh nine ten something like that? Correct, and and that's and that's the the big mistake I've made um, in my career. Not not being teammates with Kevin, I think that was good. But well, uh, in the end, it, it wasn't that good. But I'll explain <laughs> you why. Um, we had uh, we had done uh, my first year in in racing, as you said, in the North European Formula Renault Championship, which was quite well for the very first year. Um, and I think. The mistake we did was that we should have done another year of Formula Renault and then maybe yeah. move to the Euro Cup series. Yeah. Uh, at that time, I was really young, and uh, Moto Park decided they they weren't gonna race more in in the Formula Renault, so they moved to the German uh, Formula Three. And uh, and instead of 
looking for another team, we decided to stay with, with them and move into a Formula 3 with them. Right. I think the mistake was that, um, not that I had Kevin as a teammate, uh, because I think he's a great driver, but um, but the fact that uh, I had a guy who was already in a, in a Formula 1 development program, um, which... Unfortunately, these things happen in single seater. You know, I I was really quick. Uh, sometimes during winter testing, even quicker than Kevin. But the the team owner didn't even know that yeah. he didn't even they didn't even pay attention in the other cars of his team. Yes, it was all about Kevin. So um, that was a, that was a hell of a. I seem to remember that was a pretty very competitive, very competitive championship. And I've just looked it up actually, and you were tenth in two thousand and ten in the championship. It was horrible. I had a horrible championship, and I tell you why, John. Uh, for my surprise, I was always as quick, if not quicker, than Kevin during uh, during winter testing. But uh, the from the first qualifying on. Uh, all the way to the end of that championship, I was qualifying a second and a half, sometimes even more than two seconds slower than Kevin. Um, and at that time, I was so young to to realize that maybe they were doing something wrong to myself, mm -hmm. that I just kept believing that the reason why uh, everything was going bad, it was me. So that took me a long time to recover mentally, to to be able to go back and, and do what I do best which is which is drive a car to to the best of my abilities and and i doubted myself a lot at that time so that the mistake we did was maybe not giving up on that team at early enough uh we we end up spending the budget continuing there thinking that there was something else that was going wrong where in fact to be very honest with you they were just making sure i was lower than cabin on purpose yes. for whatever reason yes so, unfortunately, I was just one of these many cases that happens in, in single-seaters where you're just another guy helping to pay the bill for yep. someone else to go yep. and win a championship. And that destroyed my career uh, in, in a way where um, if I wanted to achieve Formula One, that year and a half with that team completely destroyed my, my career. It took away budget. It took away confidence. Yes. And, and, and it didn't take me anywhere. But what it did, it did me... It did make me so much stronger that when I moved to sports car, anything could beat me up and it, and it wouldn't bring me down, you know. So uh, I think that was the positive about all that negative in my career. I remember meeting you properly for the first time to have a chat uh, and, and spend some time with you. I think we were at Ricard for the test before what the European Le Mans series or the WEC series or, or whatever. I seem to remember doing an interview with you and you were desperately trying to get me into an LMP2 car, which if you'd got me in there, particularly as much as I weighed in those days, uh, you would never have got me back out again. But I think I saw you, with before I properly knew you, I think I saw you win in British F3 at Alton Park. I was up there doing some stuff for, for GTs. And I'm pretty certain you won at Alton Park. Uh, I did. 11 I did, or 12, yeah. was it? 12. That was 12. Yeah. Who was that with? Were you, who were you driving with that then? Was, that was with Fortec. Of course so, it was. Um, so so uh, it took me a while. Like I said, it took me a while to find some, some serious people. And, uh, and 
yeah, from all that mess, also it took me a while to recover mentally, to be to be mentally fit enough and and with self belief that I could uh, I could go on and win races and and uh, and fight for good results. But that was the beginning of the change, you know. That was the new the new people being born right there. Um, and and I'm so glad I I managed to come out of such a difficult situation because most of the time you see so many talents being wasted because of bad decisions and, and bad people surrounding them. So I'm really glad that, yeah, we finally, we made it. And that was the beginning of it all. What was it that that changed your focus or changed your direction, probably a better way to, to say it, people, to, to push you into sports cars? I remember you with Murphy. I'd, I'd watch your race with Murphy, but I'm pretty certain it would be the start of 2015 when you and I had that conversation and I did the the interview with you in the garage. I'm sure it was at Ricard at the pre-season test um, for, for one of our programmes. I should go and look it up. It'll be on our archive. But what was it that, that made you change direction and, and sort of go, hang on a minute, sports cars, that, that might be an opportunity here? Yeah, so... Um we as a family, the, the budget was gone, right? So we, we tried, uh, we did Formula 3 like many others and we got to a point where there was no there was no hope. I mean, to try and do Formula 2, uh, first we couldn't, we couldn't afford it, but even if we thought about doing maybe one or two races to start the championship to see how it go, it would end up being a bad decision, you know, because you go nowhere without having the real budget with the real team. Hmm. So... At that point, my father had already stopped racing. He he, he raced for fun, um, and and at that point, we didn't have as much of a, of a good financial situation anymore. So he wasn't racing. Uh, my brother wasn't racing. No one was racing. We were just trying to make me my career work. Um, and my father had a couple of GT3 cars which he used to race that was parked somewhere in the U.S. Um, and he said to me, "Look." If you sell those cars, that's your budget, and you wow. you can try and do one you can try and do one more year of uh, of uh, of racing. But I have nothing left, and um, if that doesn't work out, then you come back home, and we're gonna do something else. You you're gonna work with the family, and and that was it. So um, believe it or not, I managed to do those two races with Murphy, which went really 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 well. Yeah. Um, and they opened the door for me to meet uh, the Ligier people. So when I started talking to them, they invited me for a test in December uh, 2014, right after the Brazilian uh, WEC uh, round. And um, and I did that test. It was super wet, cold, and, and they, they liked me. Uh, Philippe Dumas, which is current, my, my manager, was there. Um, and then we started talking and he said, look, there might be an opportunity for you to do WEC next year. Uh, it will depend on, on the budget from some other drivers and um, we don't know if it's going to happen or not. I had the opportunity to use that budget from those um, GT cars uh, that my father gave me to race either with Murphy or another team in, in the ELMS. But uh, I took the decision to wait and see because I really liked the, the team. I really liked the, the atmosphere with Philippe. And uh, in the end of January, he said, look, we can make it work. There's going to be a, a big push from Ligier to have you on board. Uh, so for that, I'm extremely grateful for Jacques and, and the entire Nicolet family because um, I managed to sell those cars to, to a guy in Australia for, I think it was $180,000, both of them. 
uh, and I made a championship, a full world championship with that money. No way. Which it's 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 incredible. With with the help of so many great people around me, I managed to do that G, that uh, 2015 WEC championship with that money, and um, and I'm so grateful that I did because that opened the door for me to race with Patron. Which then is history. Yes. I, I've made my first race. I won Daytona, and I'm a professional driver ever s uh, since that time. But in order to make that happen, you see the whole story. I mean, we had to sell two GT cars, which were parked for maybe three or four years. Uh, I had to be with the right people. I had to find people that liked me and and wanted to give me a chance. Everything had to come together, but it came together late January 2015, and we started the year with a with a. Um, with a fantastic group of people. Third in the championship that year and just off the podium at Le Mans in LMP2. I've got to ask you, whatever happened to the GT3 cars? Do you know if they're still racing? And what were they? I'm desperate to know what it was that got you I, going. To be honest, I, I don't know. Um, I hope that they are still going uh, rounds at tracks and, and, uh, and having good results. But, I mean, those were the... Those were those cars were my salvation actually at wow. the end and uh, and and you just see how things have to sometimes things happen for a reason and and I'm really happy that uh, they work out worked out the way they did. Talked about the IMSA Championship now. Let's let's bring ourselves back to that. Back to racing again this weekend at, at Road America, and I know that's a place that every driver loves to go at. It's a it's a fantastic uh, setting. The surroundings are lovely. All right, I know difficult situation right now, so it won't be normal as we say, but it's still a great race track. Uh, you've been in IMSA for a few years now, and you've seen IMSA develop from. I mean. The competition level's just gone up and up, hasn't it, people? It has, indeed. Uh, I think, and I've said it, this in the past, John, the uh, the top-level teams, they are amazing, even if it was three or four years ago. But I just feel like if it's gotten even tougher uh, because details, you know, things are going down to details at the end now. And um, and with the likes of Penske, uh, Mazda upping, upping up their game and... and uh, you know, Action Express, uh, the wheeling, the wheeling boys having to work even harder to win races, and you know, it's just competition. It's it's been great, even if there there aren't many cars on the grid. I think you never know exactly who's gonna win the race, and I think that's great for the championship. You know, yes. it makes us work hard. Yes. It makes us uh, try and find ways to improve week in, week out, and um, yeah, I think uh, it's gonna be a fantastic race at Road America. Uh, I think it's going to be difficult for us Cadillacs compared um, looking at what happened last year, but um, it's part of the championship. Sometimes you you win with a big advantage like we had at Sebring where you know everything worked perfectly for us, and sometimes you just got to work out uh, to try and finish maybe third or fourth and, yeah. and and continue the fight for the championship. And that's just because the championship is so tough. Yeah, that's a very good point that you make there, people, because you know everything comes down to BOP and not everybody's going to have a car that's perfect on every circuit. I, I, even, well, I, I go back a wee bit longer uh, than you, but I, I mean, I can remember where you could maybe make a mistake and still get a decent result, possibly get a podium, maybe even still win an IMSA race. You can't do that nowadays. You've got to be perfect. And if you've got a fifth place car and 
sometimes that's the situation. And you are sixth, that's a loss. But if you've got a fifth-place car and you, and you get fifth, or better still, you get fourth, that's like winning. And for the championship, that's so important, isn't it? Correct. You know, in the end of the day, you gotta you got to try to maximise whatever you have in hands. But like you said, um, I think one of the reasons why uh, IMSA has been increasing the level of competition you, is just just by looking at how many yellow flags we have nowadays you'll see that they have dropped massively yeah you know so sometimes a few years ago where you made a mistake you could count that a yellow would come within the next 15 or 20 minutes and it would put you back in the game but you can't afford to make those mistakes anymore because there aren't so many yellow flags anymore mm. so um like you said if you have a fifth place car you got to try and make a fifth place finish. If you make it better, that's great for you, but you can't afford to, to finish sixth. Uh, you've had a couple of, uh, of second places in championships down through the years, including last year with, with Whelan. Uh, and clearly, you want to have the championship, but you've won some big races as well, including the Rolex. But Le Mans, you haven't won Le Mans yet either. So are those still things that you want to tick off, people? Well, um, of course, John, I think if you ask for any driver, uh, if if the driver would like to win Le Mans, I think that's a that's a straight, uh, straightforward answer. But even more so for myself, after winning so many fantastic races uh, in the world of endurance, uh, that's the one missing. Um, and like you said, the championship as well is something that um, I would love to win it. Uh, unfortunately, last year we lost it because of Long Beach where we were leading and we lost the wheel. Yep. But we still won the, the Endurance Championship, which also means a lot to me, especially because my career has been so, uh, around endurance racing for the past five or six years. You know now my full story of how I started. So the championship of the endurance, the Michelin Endurance Cup last year means a lot to me. Um, but as you said, uh, Le Mans is still a big target of mine. Um, I want to win it and I want to win it overall. I think that's wow. my goal for the next uh, three or four or even five years or for my career. If I can make it a win in the next 20 years at Le Mans overall, that would be fantastic. Um, for that to happen, uh, we'll have to wait and see the new regulations to come uh, into play uh, with the new LMDH uh, and Le Mans hypercar. I think when that happens, I would love to be involved in and be in a situation where I can achieve that. That's the, the last... Uh, jewel that i'm that i'm looking for it for right now and i hope i can achieve that in uh, in the years to come i'll tell you what people it'd be a very very popular win um not just from your side of things and the team and i know the family's backed you so well down through the years but you're a big fan favorite everybody likes the way you go about your racing as do i i love the fact that you do it all with a smile on your face even when you've had adversity i love the fact that you give everything behind the wheel of the car. It's so entertaining for us to watch. You know, some people say to us, oh, endurance racing, what's the point? Particularly if somebody's driving away. But when you're driving that car and it, you've had a great, you're building a great relationship with Felipe as well, which is fabulous to see. But when you two are on form and when you're behind the wheel of that car, you are Mr. Excitement. Just watching you drive that big Cadillac, it's entertainment in itself, mate. So thank you very much indeed. No, thank you, John. It's uh, it's my pleasure. It's as you said, it's the way I go racing, and um, and if there is one thing the fans and everyone can be sure of is that 
if there's a gap, as Ayrton used to say, I'm gonna try and find that gap. And um, it's not because it's not because of anything else, but from my desire to do the best I can at all times. You know, it's not because of the team. Of course, I'm hired by the team and I have to do the best job possible. But I just wanted so badly to to be better every day, improve myself, and and fight for better results. That uh, I'm glad uh, that you say that. I'm glad that people like it, and uh, I hope that I can continue to entertain for many years to come and enjoy successes with uh, with everyone around. You know, the fans, uh, you guys who who support me so well, and I have to thank you uh, for all the good comments you do during the tv time and um for everyone i just want we can have all a great time together if it's behind a microphone if it's behind the tv or if it's behind the the steering wheel and that's the most important thing oh brilliant mate brilliant and we wish you well this weekend you and the rest of the wheeling team uh, race well be safe uh, the one the one thing i would say is don't worry if i think you've made a mistake i'll call you out on that as well you know me well enough uh, to know that but i'll hopefully do it in the right way and if you don't agree with me i'm big enough and ugly enough that you can find me and we'll have a chat about it afterwards <laughs> cheers mate have a good weekend thanks john i hope i don't do that mistake i don't want to hear it i don't want to hear it thank you people good luck bye thank you and don't forget every session of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship is live on RS2 IMSA Radio this weekend. Uh, Friday is Free Practice 1, and then we've got Free Practice 2 and qualifying on Saturday. And I can't remember where the schedule goes after that. We've also got the Michelin Pilot Challenge and uh, Porsche um, GT3 Two races. Challenge as well. And the IMSA Prototype Challenge. And yeah. IMSA Prototype Challenge as well. There we it's go. A, so it's a busy it's a packed weekend. weekend. Uh, check out the schedule. Sorry, I'm still laughing. At what uh, people said there, joining us from Miami. Um, uh, all on the bottom of the homepage at radio-show.co.uk. A lot of you tweeting in about that. Rob Chalmers, great big interview with people. Still a Bentley boy in my eyes. Uh, Daniel says, super interesting to hear how people financed his WEC first season. You often wonder about these things, don't uh, really get the inside story. Uh, and uh, Sarah Rigby says, what a great guy, amazing positive outlook uh, The that people has. Uh, many don't realise uh, how difficult it is. A uh, real throw of the dice, it sounded like people, says Kevin uh, Payne. Dave Alcock saying how difficult things were. Not only a lot of talent, but a grit, determination and support of family shows how many things have to go right and how much you need to make it to the top. Very open and honest big interview this week from uh, from Pepo Tarani and thank you Pepo for uh, taking some time out. Getting ready to go to Road America. Uh, they'll be travelling uh, later this week, Thursday I think he said when we were setting uh, that up earlier in the week. And we've got some IMSA news which is breaking as we speak. I have in front of me a piece of paper. Um, well, not exactly. Uh, it is actually uh, a release from Kerrigan Smith, who's the president and COO, chief operating officer of Virginia International Raceway. It's with a heavy heart that we have to make the official announcement. There will be no spectators allowed at this year's Michelin GT Challenge IMSA weekend. We had hoped the tide would turn, but as the circumstances 
are all too predictable these days. We need to make a firm commitment to a decision for planning purposes. We are sure there will be some frustration and disappointment, but please realise this is not what either VIR or IMSA want to see happen. And the COVID-19 situation is completely beyond our collective control. On a positive note, the event will be live streamed and TV broadcast, so you'll be able to catch all the racing action as it happens. We hope and pray that 2021 leads us into a better year with stability and consistency, which will uh, return our ability to plan a and schedule events that will include all of you. We apologise for having to send out this letter and hope you to have you back in 2021. Uh, we hear that even as we speak, uh, that the very hard working team at VIR are getting ready to process refunds of tickets. So that is, uh, again, just proof, if proof were needed, Nick, of the uh, the fluidity yeah. of the situation. Yeah, it, it's it's changing for everybody, left, right, and that's, that's two events in what 15 minutes. Who thought they were going to have spectators and now aren't? The events yeah. are still going ahead. We have other events which are behind closed doors, which may fall foul. We have other events being added. Things are being shuffled and moved around, and people desperately try to get a season away. And I know we spend most of our time talking about F1, but there's, there's so many major international and big regional series they're having to work flat out as well trying to find a way of balancing the requirement to get a season out with with their lucky enough to have tv requirements and then potentially the fact that there's many many people who want to see a live motor race but they don't seem to be allowed at the moment even though they're trying to yes agreed sad news there it may not be the last indycar uh, as well, have had to swap and change and cancel a few events, Tim, as well, uh, in the last few days. That's right, they've cancelled their race at WeatherTech Laguna Seca because of uh, COVID-19, and also the one at Portland because of rioting. Oh, oh really? That Was that the the, uh, oh, okay. the yeah. official result uh, uh, for that? Uh, let's, let's move on to two wheels, shall we? And we'll bring in... Uh, Declan Brennan, uh, evening decks, or good afternoon as it is with you on the East Coast. How are you, mate? I'm excellent, thank you. I'm just preparing for another uh, very busy week slash weekend of IMSA digital content manufacture. You're making stuff up, Dex. He's building his part. Dex, you're making stuff up. You're professionally making stuff up. I am. I am. I'm digital content. Yes, stuff that doesn't exist. Stuff that you can't pick up. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it. Um, sure, if it's digital, you can pick it up. It's all about your fingers. Oh, very good. Very good, Tim. Very good. Just I didn't hear that. Tim is not coming to me. Ah. Uh, no, he's Say what he wants about me. Why is he not going to you? That's very interesting. Uh, okay, he's going to you now. Uh, say something to Dex, Tim. Hi, Dex. Tim. Hello. There you go. Um, that's the uh, fun this, of, of running several things through the desk. It's just giving me flashbacks to Zoom calls. Yes. Hello, Connie, G- D- Gareth, G- Deirdre, Deirdre. I love the way you always pick different names. You're on mute. You're on mute. <laughs> Dex, just a, I mean, just a thought about um, people there on the line. I mean, what a fab. You, you've met him um, in, the, in your uh, duties around the IMSA paddock. You've seen him race. I, I mean... You probably realised that as I was going through that interview, that wasn't necessarily the way I thought that interview was going to pan out. But very open, very honest. I've known him for a long time, but even so, I just got great honesty from him. Well, what's amazing about that interview particularly was 
the detail he went into regarding his WEC drive in 2015. That's the stuff that normally comes out in a lunch with in motorsport 25 years after your career's over. Yeah. Like, literally, you know, you see those, those types of... Uh, of deals get talked about normally massively in retrospect by drivers. They don't talk about them basically, oh, granted it's five years ago, but he's still in the middle of his career. No. So it's absolutely amazing. It was wonderful to hear that. I, and he's I'm, such de- a- I'm desperate to find out if anybody in Australia knows where those two cars are and whether they are still racing. And if we even better, if we can have pictorial uh, evidence as well uh, about that. Uh, thanks again to people, Durrani. We wish him well for uh, he and Philippe Nasser. And indeed, all the IMSA races, uh, a good show this weekend. Race well, as Diana Binks uh, always says. And I think that's a very good way of putting it. Uh, let's move on to the, the two wheels now. Uh, Nick Damon still with us. Hello. And Dex Brennan, Dex Brennan, as you've heard, has joined us. Right then. So, who had a 1-2-3 for Yamaha this weekend in, in MotoGP? Not, not Lynn Jarvis, apparently. No, not no, Lynn Jarvis. He was apparently going to parade naked in the paddock if they got a 1-2-3. Lynn Jarvis is the uh, team manager for the works Yamaha team. Yes, he sort of runs Yamaha, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, surprising, in, not that Quattararo uh, did the job, Dex, but um, the, the performance of uh, the has-been... Uh, that was being written about last week. I mean, they say what a difference a day makes. What a difference a week made for Valentino Rossi. Well, I'm going to put my hand up, and uh, and this is not not the 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 churlish stroke ridiculous idea that he uh, he quit last week. He turned the engine like he that's ridiculous. He didn't. But I I I felt like I was watching the beginning and the end last week as he yeah struggled. Uh, in about eighth place it was before the bike pulled up. And I, and I, I, fe- I just felt really sad because I, I thought, if this is how it's going to be this season, I'm not sure I want to watch that. That's yeah, yeah, not... Yeah. And Painful. I certainly don't want to watch it next year, you know? And then, then no, that's not the case at all, it, which is absolutely quite... Honestly, that was so... It was always relief and it was refreshing to see him uh, work as hard as he did. This is Valentino Rossi, obviously. Mm. And to watch him on an inferior bike at that stage hold off Maverick Vinales for as long as he did was absolutely joyous. Oh, it was. He's I... so much better on the brakes than Vinales. Oh. It's amazing. I, I I loved it. I watched, there was very little other motorsport on the weekend, so I watched all of it either live or very closely on tape delay in between watching uh, the cricket. Vinales... Once again, in some ways, even though he finished well, Nick flattered to deceive. He had the pace, it seemed, in qualifying. He was there or thereabouts uh, on the longer runs earlier in the week. It was exceptionally hot on race day, we should say that. And set up and tyre choice played yep. a huge point. But he really was not at the Quattararo pace in the race. No, I think that the problem with Maverick, and it's, you know, it's no surprise to see him qualifying well, He's not a very good racer, is he? He doesn't seem to have the ability within the large bikes to race particularly well. You know, he was held behind, as you rightly said, on the brakes, the most physical thing you can do in a MotoGP bike, by a 41-year-old. Let's keep remembering this. Valentino Rossi is 41 
Um, you know, the, he, in sixty degree weather. Yeah, yes, well, it, one it, degree track temperature, not when not weather. Not four, ambient. Four, it was yeah. thirty eight ambient, wasn't it? Something ridiculous. Yeah, it was, yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 was, it was above body temperature. You know that. Yeah. Um, you know, and and it's, it's, it's it, yeah, these are unbelievably physical machines. I mean, MotoGP is an incredibly physical sport. You know, in that temperature, you know, on the edge the whole time because the tires were moving all over the place because of the heat. So you were constantly, you know, having to make sure you weren't about to send yourself into the, into the gravel. And you could be seen by the high amount of attrition, how hard it was. And, you know, that, that to me, to, to Dex's point about Valentino, that just proves that he has still got it because they were the sort of conditions, really, that nobody likes. And a bike that wasn't feeding back to him as it hasn't been... It hadn't been doing last week, and he got over the top of that. Um, Quattararo, uh, in the meanwhile, um, thank you and good night. He checked out. He looked good all weekend. There was a great battle for pole. There was a great battle for pole position. There was a good battle in uh, the early part of practice as well, when everybody seemed to be on time attack in the last 10 minutes uh, at some stage. But Quattararo, having, you know, having had the French nation go mad. Uh, a week before, I mean, really just underlines how good he is. And I know people will say Marquez wasn't there, Dex, and we'll get to that in a sec. But I mean, that was a that was still a very very mature ride from somebody who'd only taken their first MotoGP victory um, the previous week and only their second MotoGP victory in any class the week before. Extraordinary from the young Frenchman. Yeah, it was like watching a really, really, really good Jorge Lorenzo tribute act at a nightclub. <laughs> it was a, uh, it was, it, it was amazing. What nightclubs do you go to? Jorge to, Lorenzo tribute act at a nightclub. That would be quite disappointing, wouldn't it? Uh, <laughs> particularly if you'd, if you'd, uh, but particularly if you'd turn up to say a Hamilton uh, Bohannon or Gil Scott yeah, Heron exactly. tribute act instead. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> sorry. That's yes. Yeah, all right. I'm, 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 I'm running like, myself off the rails here. Let, let, I like the analogy. I, so, I like the analogy. Uh, Quattararo, though, not only does he have the speed, when he got the gap in the race, I, I loved what happened, as I say, in all the sessions. And I love how the MotoGP, uh, we've talked about this before. I love the way the MotoGP weekend builds. And, and basically every session is, is, is important, and particularly for a practice three. Yes. And I love how it builds. I love how that, the story, it's one of the reasons I, I don't just like watching the race. I feel I've got to watch all the sessions building up to it, which is exactly why they do it, of course. But once he <laughs> built that, um, once he built that lead, the way he controlled it, the way he, you know, his lap times were metronomically brilliant. But that's the Lorenzo part. That's yes. the, the bit that we discussed last week regarding him having to embrace the fact that he's favorite that wasn't a problem clearly not a problem and the bit we talked about about marquez not having lorenzo's ruthless assassin's temperament he has that too mm. like he did exactly what that was why it was lorenzo West. that's what lorenzo used to do he'd go out and he'd do the quick laps early on on the before the tires warmed up and then suddenly on the eighth lap to the 17th lap he'd do nine you know 138s in a row and that's kind of what Quattararo did it was wonderful to watch reminded and- me rather Dex of watching a very good five or ten thousand meter runner back in the days of you know Brendan Foster uh, Dave Bedford and that type type of, of era where my favorite from New Zealand Dick Quacks yeah which uh <laughs> which is it's just a <laughs> 
sorry. I'm pulling obscure Antipodean 10,000 meter runners out, but that, that Imp- yes, impressive yes, you yes, could do that. Up. But the, you know, you'd be you'd be with the pack, with the pack, with the pack, and then all of a sudden, bang in as you say, five six laps at at a second and a half, two seconds quicker than everybody else, and Actually, that's what John, it, that's what did. Can I crunch? I don't think it was like. I think he was more like a David Moorcroft. He went out front because he didn't. He didn't need the sprint finish. He went out and killed everybody early with his pace from the start. Yeah. And this is the difference. But he made the tire last. Lot, he, he made the front and the rear tire last. That was the clever thing for me. That was the really clever thing in that heat. John, this is the this is the thing. If you're going to use that analogy, and this is the thing, Nick, we've talked about uh, about Marquez. It suddenly dawned on me. I started to think about this more. Two big incidents where Marquez could have done that. Marquez chooses not to do that. Ah. 2018 at Assen, best Grand Prix I've ever watched till it wasn't. He played with everybody and allowed it to be really competitive. And then he went, oh, I've had, you've had your fun now. See ya. Yeah. And off he went. And then in last year in Australia, he basically didn't pass Vinales on the straight in Australia. Uh, until there was three laps to go. And then he did it just because he could. And this is this is his mentality. He's doing... He's almost performatively displaying his dominance uh, or attempting to in a way that Quattro is not interested in. Quattro no. is interested in being Lorenzo. We're going out and saying, right, I'm better. See you at the finish line. And there's, there's almost a lack of respect there. I, I don't know if that's deliberate or not, but I, I hear what you're saying and I might be reading more into it, but uh, as Dex has brought up Marquez, and I'll come back to a couple of the riders I want to talk about in MotoGP in a sec. Um, Marquez, yep. awful lot of chat about him. He yep. went away. We talked about it last week. Will he be back? Will he not be back? He was back. He, he sat out a couple of sessions. He went out. He tried the bike. He even came in. He had to qualify through Q1. Um because of his times I mean he wasn't that far off the pace a second and a second and a half isn't that much but it, it was far enough for him to, to have to qualify again we talked about this before dinner um, or after dinner actually and I'm if that had been anybody else and, and, and by the way I think he made the right decision um, I also think and your Twitterage on this would be um, interesting as well I think I still think that somebody at the team should have said no. You have to stop. You have to stop now. You can't I, do I this. I think it was it was a ridiculous thing for him to try. Right. The, the, right. The risk, okay. the risk for your award was was right. Uh, absolutely. I, I don't disagree with that, but I understand why any motorcyclist would think that they could do that. My point is that any other motorcyclist, you would have said, well, they got on the bike, they gave it a try, they realised that they weren't going to be competitive. Had he started the race and done a few laps uh, and got past about lap seven or eight or ten, certainly, he would have been no worse than 14th. Only 13th Yeah, because Cal trolled round in 13th, literally just just And he stopped for a couple of laps. Well, he had an arm pump in his, yeah. in his good arm. But um, no yeah, guarantee... And then, Marquez would have stayed on. No, no, yeah. I, no. I, I accept that, Dex. But I'm looking at a broader picture of any other motorcyclist, yes. right? Yes. So, so let's assume it's any other motorcyclist. It's not Mark Marquez. So you go into that meeting thinking, I might, I might not. Let's give it a go. So you give it a go and go. Hell no, this is ridiculous. I'm not doing this. So you drop out and you say to your team, right, guys, I can't do it. And your team go, absolutely, which I'm sure is what Marquez's team do. Then you walk away as a normal motorcyclist, as a normal motorcycle racer. <laughs> as anybody, even the supermen in there, and go, well, I tried my best. I don't think that happens to Marquez. I think Marquez goes, I've failed. 
That's an absolute failure. And and he is not used to having failure, Nick. And I wonder if that will adversely affect him going forward. That he would have been, in Marquez's mind, he would have been better to have not tried than to have tried and failed. It's very hard to get inside the psyche of... of a professional motor uh, motorcycle racer, and then alone uh, the best professional motorcycle racer of his generation. He's brilliant. It, he's brilliant, but it was absolutely ridiculous. Should, the, the fact about it is, as as Declan said, if you fall off with an injury, yes, the injury itself isn't going to break again because it's taped and pinned and plated. And... But you know, as we all know, the the next thing along will break because that's what happens. And and he's and the next thing along is his shoulders, which he's had massive problems with. So unless he's going to guarantee not to fall off, which is the last thing Mark Marquez can do, what is he doing riding injured pointlessly for a best reward of three points, possibly two points? It might be important by the end of the season, a short season, though. I understand the justification of trying. I, just, I, I, I don't, really I do. I genuinely don't. I think it's just... it's it's. He was trying to make a statement, and I think, as you've rightly said, it ended up making the statement going, oh, he's not superhuman, he's yeah. just normal like the rest of us. Well, and, and also we had... Are, didn't we also have that incident last week, and I think you talked about it, Dex, where he went past... Uh, who did he go past? He went past Vinales, and Vinales passed him straight back. Mm. No, Jack Miller. Uh, no, it was Jack Miller. Miller. It was Miller. It was Jack Attack. You're right. Uh, right, let, let's move on on from that. Uh, there's a couple of other riders I want to talk about very quickly. Uh, first of all, uh, one of the other injuries... Cal Crutchlow did really well. Broken scaphoid, I've had that. It's awful. And I could, I could barely walk around, and I certainly couldn't sleep with it. Never mind even thinking about riding a motorcycle. In fairness, I was only 14 at the time. But <laughs> but uh, I thought he did brilliantly. But what about Rins, Dex? I mean, Rins just quietly rode around and got himself some points. And we don't really, really know how bad that injury has been because they've been very quiet about that. It's quite bad, apparently. Uh, and that is a testament to that bike. That bike is just incredible. Incredible. The 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 way it 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 it's balanced. It, Mir was fifth. Juan Mir was fifth. Uh, you know, they on our day when riding a Grand Prix motorcycle was almost impossible. Like let's let's be honest. It was an absolutely insane race to watch in some respects to see brad binder's accident which was startling in its mm. violence mm. uh you know we had lecoana go down we had oh god we had we had uh, poor old miguel Oliveira qualified fifth didn't even make around the first lap it, it was people were dropping like flies he is suffering quite badly and he gets the thing around to 10th that was absolutely phenomenal and mir's performance was also very very good yeah. there were a handful of performances in that race that were absolutely extraordinary as well. I, your heart goes out, John, to to Peko Bagnaia oh. because because to have uh, and Frankie Morbidelli. Because to be honest, I think they were probably going to finish uh, on the podium, and it, that's that is uh, you know heartbreaking, particularly for Bagnaia, and uh, and ultimately. You know, uh, Morbidelli's issue raises one huge point, which I know Nick will probably want to talk about, which is uh, Yamaha's engines. What do Yamaha do if they have a... They, they, they're already they're already over the limit, aren't they? Apparently, they're five engines. They've used most of them, or most bits of them, and they've had to go. Apparently, it's an exhaust sensor. I was hearing on the yes. So, yeah. they, so do they get to um, actually? 
um, open them up and then replace the sensor. Well, that that's what they that's what they're gonna have to do, guys. We're running out of oh, time. Oh damn! I had a Mas- uh, I had a whole Jorge Lorenzo nightclub act uh, skit to do. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I do want to just for the bonus uh, extras on the uh, yeah on demand version. Um, uh, we we've still got a couple of guests to come, and uh, I don't want to keep them waiting uh, very much I've longer. Been waiting but, a while. Uh, yes, um, I, I I hadn't forgotten about that. Um, I I. I did think that Davizioto again did a great ride quietly, possibly not as many points as and he. Nakagami. And Nakagami as well. All good stuff. Um, we'll keep our eye on that. Short and sweet from you, Dex. Have a great weekend, mate. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, my pleasure, and I'll, I'll, I'll look forward to speaking to you over the weekend. Cheers, mate. Have a good one. Good luck with the team. Bye. Cheers, Declan Brennan. Quick yep. thing. World Superbike's back this weekend. Yes, exactly. Uh, exactly right. Hereth again, burning up again. And. Uh, We've already heard Tim talking us, uh, talking to us about. We've got some guests coming up uh, after. Uh, we've heard about another program tomorrow night. Hello, race fans. Crailsy here. Well, he's been one of the big stars of the 2020 Supercars season, so we thought it was about time Nick Perkett, two-time race winner this year, joined us for a chat. He's our headline guest this week on the grid. It's open, honest, quite raw in places, and a fascinating insight into one of the best drivers on the grid. Then we break down the latest challenges to the supercar calendar that seem to happen every single day. We throw some theories about where we think it might end. We talk about the new TV deal in the offing, which is going to be very important for the sport. And all the usual chat and banter, it's on the grid, 9pm Thursday night's UK time on RS1. Do check it out. Well, the UK national scene has got back underway in the current difficult times for all kinds of sport and uh, a couple of visitors from the United States have been taking advantage uh, of this. Welcome along to Grant Palmer and to Bryce Aaron who are in the uh, UK Formula Ford Championships, uh, a championship at the moment. Gentlemen, welcome to our green and pleasant land. Uh, I'll start with you, Bryce, because you, you've got a bit of experience of, of UK Formula Ford. You were, you were here for the festival last year. Yes, that's correct. First of all, thank you for having us on the show. We really appreciate it. Um, last year, I came over for the festival, um, which was a great opportunity. Um, and then it was recommended by Jeremy Shaw. And we, uh, I really appreciated his uh, feedback and input into doing it. And now I'm coming over to do the full season along with Grant. Um, and just really looking forward to it. So far, we've done one round at Dalton Park, which went pretty well. And just looking forward to the rest. Grant. First of all, I mean, I know it's difficult, but how have you found it? It's, it's, has it been a culture shock? Has it been what you ex- expected away from the racing side of things? Um, away from the racing side of things, it's kind of what I expected to not be in London. Um, it's a, At least where we are, it's relatively quiet. Uh, not too much going on because, you know, we're not in a city full of a million people. So it's it's definitely nice. Everyone in town seems to know each other, and they're all really friendly toward us. Uh, you're staying with Cliff and Michelle Dempsey uh, just up the road from Hindhoff Towers here, right in the middle of, of the country. Why, why Formula Ford in the UK, Grant? What was it that, that tipped you to, towards coming to do this to further your career? Uh, well, I was getting ready to run US Formula Ford this year, and then... Uh, Jeremy Shaw reached out to me and told me that I should run Formula Ford UK because um, basically all, all if you look back, all the drivers who've made it to IndyCar ran Formula Ford, and that's something I sort of skipped over. 
you know, Joseph Newgarden, Connor Daly, Oliver Askew, they all ran here in the competition level from what I've seen uh, at Olsen Park, the national, the competition level is very high and the amount of learning that I still need to do that I just found out that I still need to do is uh, right in front of me. <laughs> Uh, very intense competition on on track, and I presume uh, was this your first opportunity with a three pedal car? I presume you'd come through karting, Grant, had you? Uh, yes, I came through karting, and then I I drove a Lucas Oil sixteen hundred, which was a uh, it's paddle shift, and you still have the clutch pedal to to use to get rolling. But other than that, well, I, also the US Formula Four car that I drove a couple times. But still, uh, still the paddle shifter. So this is my first time racing a uh, H pattern gearbox. Ah, the joys of healing and towing and revving down the box, which Bryce, obviously, you had to get to grips with as well. What's your background before you came over here last year to try Formula Ford? Yeah, so before doing cars last year, I ended up doing a lot of years of karting um, in WKA, USPKS, SCUZA. Um, so I did a lot of the national karting scene, some of the regional stuff as well near me. Um, last year I did, it was my first year in cars. I was 15 and I moved into 1600s in America. So you still have the H pattern gearbox. Yeah. Um, so that wasn't quite new to me, but really everything else about the car is quite different, especially when it comes to the engine, the way you're actually able to downshift. Um, and the way the car actually performs, especially like around the corners, especially since the tires are, you don't have a dedicated, you, here you don't have a dedicated wet tire or a dedicated slick tire, just one tire, yeah. unlike the States. Um, so it's definitely something to get used to, really, because these cars move around a lot, a lot of fun to drive. So Brands Hatch, obviously, absolutely classic Formula Ford racing round there for the festival. Um, how did you find, Bryce, Alton Park? That That's often called... Britain's answer to the Nürburgring, albeit slightly shrunk in the in the wash, but that's another very challenging track. Yeah, it was definitely was a good challenge, especially with the competition we had of like 34 cars, and all. I think the top 15 all have won something or done something somewhere, um, so it's definitely a lot of competition. Um, and the track itself was awesome, uh, very technical, very challenging, proper driver's track where if you if you get sucked into overdriving, you lose time. You can't you access the bed at the same time. You still have to attack the corners brake late, carry a lot of minimum speed. So it's definitely something to get used to, and I do probably agree with it. Even though it is quite a bit shorter than the Nürburgring, I could see definitely how that comparison could be made. Grant, I presume that you weren't really uh, intending to spend quite so much time in the UK. Uh, well, we were kind of expecting to spend March through May over here. I guess now we're going to be spending even longer time here, so... Uh, I'm kind of going to enjoy that. Being outside of my home country is just sort of a, you get to see a lot of things that other people don't get to see at this time in their life. So I'm just going to sit here and enjoy that. Uh, and what part of the states are you from, uh, Grant? Sorry, I should have asked you both this before. I, I grew up in Chicago, but now I live near St. Louis in St. Charles, Missouri. All right. And what about you, Bryce? Where are you from? So I'm located about 20 minutes north of Chicago in a suburb called Winneka. Road America would would be one of your closest tracks, Bryce, back home? Yeah, absolutely. I've seen a few races there. Unfortunately, I never had the opportunity to go race at Road America. But definitely as a kid, I've seen a few races there. Um, just last year, I went up to watch IndyCar and the Road to Indy, which was an awesome experience. 
Um, but yeah, it's, it's seen some racing there. Love the track, love the facility. It's definitely like the closest really proper racetrack near us. And I mean, it's great to be somewhat close to something in America, which is really different when you come over here and you, you hear about, oh, long drives, three hours. Whereas in the U.S. you hear, <laughs> nah, it's not um, unheard of to hear teams talking about, oh, we had to drive 24 hours to get to a track. Exactly. So that means it is nice to have something close to us. You mentioned, actually, I'll ask this to Grant because Bryce mentioned, uh, Grant, the the level of competition uh, in UK National Formula Ford. How have you found that? And, and do you think it's helping you in terms of your career progression? That was the point of you coming here in the first place. Uh, it's definitely helping me. Um, you know, at Olson Park, I saw what other guys were doing that were faster than me. And I would try to uh, just sort, since it's right in front of me, I'm going to utilize that. And uh, we're able to run full races, close racing, um, and you know sometimes you're you're having to fend off two or three cars down the straightaway into the next corner, and, and the guys won't hit you. They'll squeeze you. They'll they'll do whatever they can to get around you, but they won't hit you on purpose, <laughs> at least. <laughs> On purpose, at least. There are some subtle differences, and I know you've both raced in the States, and I'll throw this to you first, Bryce. How have you had to um, amend, if you will, and change your your attitude towards that? Yeah, I think when I came over initially, you get a little bit raced differently as being the American, (laughs) um, or being known as an American. So I think I think generally last year, especially going on the experience I had in the 1600 program, um, a lot of times you're just able to get a run on somebody and just dive down the inside with not much challenge, whereas here it's a lot more defending for the position, fighting for the, for the position. Um, it's not really, you don't really work with anybody over here where you work together to catch somebody. It's more just completely battle for each position, defend, do whatever you need to do. You can move down straight away in whatever way you want, as many times as you want, as long as you don't have contact. Um, but, you know, it's, I think it's a little bit of a different philosophy here with the way you could defend, the way you attack. Yeah. But I, to be honest, I like it a lot because I feel like it's a lot. It's very proper. It's very true. Um, and it's, I, at the same time, I feel like it's definitely something that will benefit both of us in the future. Uh, well, we wish you all the best. I'll finish off by asking you where you where you want to be. So we'll start with you, Bryce. You mentioned IndyCar. You mentioned a, a couple of big names. So is that what you're aiming for, a single-seater career? Yeah, definitely. For me, that goal is IndyCar. Um, always dreamed of it, always wanted it. I'm really driven to get there. So that's the goal, always has been. And I mean, I'm determined to get there. And Grant, what do you reckon for your future? Uh, the end goal for me, I think, is also IndyCar. Um, so hopefully I'll get to uh, maybe ride side by side through them at the Indy 500 sometime. <laughs> and uh, maybe a little bit of a sports car prototype racing. Oh. Um but I think the main goal right now is IndyCar. See, that as soon as you mention sports cars to me and anybody who's listening to this programme, they'll, they'll, they'll be listening a little bit harder and watching for your names. Pass on my best to, to uh, Cliff and Michelle Dempsey, won't you? Uh, good friends of ours from many years, lovely people. And guys, we wish you all the best. Race well, enjoy as much as you can the experience over here at the moment hopefully things will open up a bit and you'll you'll get to see a few a uh, few of the little jewels of the uk outside of racetracks well done lads thank you. thank you thank you for your time today we really appreciate being on the show no it's no problem no problem guys thank you very much indeed sorry for keeping uh, the guys waiting and that i think tim is about all we have time for tonight it is indeed 
weekend, lots of action. We've got some IMSA. We have. We've got some Nürburgring as well. Right. The uh, next round of the Nürburgring Langstrecker Zeri. Oh, excellent. Takes place on Saturday. Bruce Jones and Peter Snowden are your commentators for that. And Tim has promised to put the audio up from the last round. In fact, he may have already done it. Have you already done it? Not yet. I'll do that now. Excellent. Thank you. I slipped through the net on a very big, big busy weekend when we had about 174 different races. And I, I wasn't doing the Nürburgring one. No. So well, okay. Don't no, blame no, me. No, 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 that's fine. It's, well, no, Tim, you oversee. You are the godlike uh, omnipotence that is our technical department. You are a one-man technical department. You should know that. I think Kerry and Rob and Hugh and Will would disagree with that. Ah, what, when it comes to podcasts, though. Yeah, what I really liked was the massive intake of breath Tim took before he he attempted Nürburgring Langstrecker series. It was brilliant. Yeah, very good. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to remember what it was called. <laughs> I wanted to say VLN. Well, you're buying some time with the breathing as well. Yeah. Before we go... What? Jorge Lorenzo nightclub tribute act. Yes, I've been thinking about a lot about this, but what, how would the how would the what, how would the Jorge Lorenzo nightclub tribute act manifest? And I've decided what it'd be: Jorge Lorenzo nightclub tribute with the perfect person to lead the conga. But if, if he's in the middle of the conga, he wouldn't be very good. And if someone spilt some beer, he'd start having losing all confidence in his shoes. There's no time to <laughs> explain. <laughs> No, please, I want more of this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, back of the weekend with Jeremy and Shea on RS2, Friday evening UK time. Check the website for the details of all of our live coverage, and we'll be back next week at 8 o'clock. No time to explain. The Llama is now doing the conga. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.